Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are uh, go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. This is episode 104. We are recording Sunday, December 13th, 2020 at 5 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And from Daily Notes, Adam Daly is joining us today. Adam, how's it going? It's going really good. How are you guys doing? It's always glad. I'm, I'm always happy to be a part of your guys' show because uh, you guys teach me a thing or two about a thing. <laughs> It's, it's about great. One it's thing. great. <laughs> one thing, yeah. We we teach him about a thing, and then we move on. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's great to have you on, Adam. Uh, it's great. It's great to have the whole almost sideways team together. Uh, I know you just uh, you just released a daily notes episode. Uh, what were you guys talking about this week? All right. So this week actually is actually a big thing because we did our very first live episode on YouTube. We did live because I had two good guests and I thought the conversation kind of was fitted for a bigger conversation with the other guests and stuff. So we talked to top 10 PS4 games of the generation. So PS5's out. Figured we'd get two PlayStation um, reviewers, content creators come back after I interviewed both of these people. So it's Lucy Reed, aka LudyXP, and Adam McDermott. They're back and we did a big giant 22 game list here. It was really fun. We had about 46 people live watching that at one time. And I think right now that video or that live show just crossed over 1300 views with 100 likes and we went from 85 subs on the YouTube channel to 115 in that time wow. as well. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. It's all happening. <laughs> so, and- yeah. It's all yeah, happening, it's happening, yeah. And a lot of the views from previous videos have won up since then, too. So a lot of people are checking out the stuff, too, and are liking it. So that's a, it's, a, it's amazing. And the audio from that live stream is now uh, on the podcast feed as well, so you can catch that there. Um, and so you can catch us on, on YouTube there. Uh, this, uh, this podcast will be kind of segmented out throughout the week. Uh, but then you can also get us Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, all those fun places as well. Hey, can I have one more thing real fast? And so when, this epi- so when this episode drops on um, podcast, we will also on YouTube have the Home Alone Deep Dive will be dropping on YouTube as well. So you can check that out. And then on that Saturday, Home Alone ranking all five films ranked worst to best too. So some more content coming your way for Christmas. So Nice, nice. Wasn't that last year we did the Home Alone Deep Dive? Yeah, I really want to yeah, hear. So bring, I want to hear your thoughts about Home Alone four and five. I wonder where they will be on the list and three. Yeah, well, I for if you guys are not interested on YouTube videos, I will be putting that audio from that Home Alone ranking <laughs> onto my holiday special with Home Alone, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, nostalgic review, and my first time watch with a UK viewer Paul Klein on It's a Wonderful Life as well. So big giant holiday thing for my daily notes too. So. Stay tuned. Yeah, so so our deep dive today was a first time watch. We'll be getting to that really soon. That, so that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Todd and Zach, let's get you guys into this. I wanted to go over something with you guys before we get into our regular stuff. Uh, today, like the first critics group released their their uh, their awards. The Boston Film Critics released their awards. So I'm just going to kind of list through them and give your first first reactions here of of what you guys think. Best picture was Nomadland. Uh, best director was Chloe Zhao from Nomadland. 
Uh, best Ensemble was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which comes out on Netflix next week. Uh, best Actor was Anthony Hopkins for The Father, with uh, runner-up Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Uh, best Actress was Sydney Flanagan from uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And yes, I got the the, uh, the title right, Thank Zach. There you go. Uh, best Supporting Actor, Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. There we that go. That was something we talked about, yeah. yeah. Start that Oscar buzz. Absolutely. And then uh, Best Supporting Actress was Yoon Yoo Jung from uh, Minari. And Best Screenplay was I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So what nice. critics were these? Boston Film Critics. Boston, yeah. Wow. So, so uh, first uh, first reactions, Todd. Uh, it's, it sounds like what uh, should be probably close to the the norm for at least the critics season. Like, uh, I, I assume Anthony Hopkins will sweep most everything. Uh, Nomadland winning Best Picture and Director is interesting. That's not exactly how I would thought it would have gone. But, it, I mean, it is pretty much unanimously received. I, I love I'm Thinking of Anything's being on there, though. That that That's a great choice. If that gets an adaptive screenplay nomination eventually, I, I'll love that. Zach, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, like mine was the exact opposite thought. Like, I'm uh, those were all great picks until I'm thinking of ending things. Like, WTF, man, that movie sucked. <laughs> it was one of the best movies of the year. <laughs> oh man, no, no. I, I I think I gave it a three stars just out of respect. I still want to go back and revisit it, but speaking of three stars out yeah. of respect, uh, no mention of Mank on that list. Pretty pretty interesting. Very true. Very true. But again, I think all of us can say Paul Racy, best supporting actor. Let, let's keep that. Let's keep that train running because he was amazing in that movie, and I'd love to see that actually happen. The new Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn two point oh. I finally yes. thought of who would have been great in that role. It took me an entire week, but I figured it out, and it was uh, Peter Sarsgaard. I think would have been awesome in that role too. But Ben Mendelsohn is good. It would be a good choice too. I like Mendelsohn better. I like Mendelsohn better. All right. Well, uh, well, Zach, what are you drinking, or in this case, what are you not drinking? Uh, well, I'm broadcasting this from my place of work, so unfortunately, I have to drink some agua fria, or is it? Um, I really wanted to drink some mulled wine or flaming rum punch, but I don't think I was able to find those. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have broadcast a couple of the podcast episodes from my classroom, too. It, it was before we were doing the what are you drinking segment, but it was like back when we first started. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not I like Miles. The... I can't have a glass of, you know, a wine glass on my desk, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Todd, what are you drinking? Well, my wine isn't mold, but I did decide to drink wine because of that, because I don't have the stuff to make it mold. But I'm drinking the Forest Glen Sangiovese from the Oak Barrel Selection. It's a 2002 aged, so it's pretty good. It's super dark. So that is, Yes, it is. Like George Bailey's mind. <laughs> whoa, whoa. All right, Adam, what are you drinking? I just got a Kirkland's Finest Indian Pale mm. Ale, so it's very good beautiful boy it's effective that that's my that's my term for that effective <laughs> all right so 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 getting my beer today was a bit of an adventure so i went and got got my growler filled at uh at ridge walker forest grove check it out it's worth it they, they've got um they've got like 32 taps and they're up to like 21 of their taps being their own stuff 
and their brewery that's only been open for like four years. Uh, anyways, they had a new winter ale out that I wanted to try, and so uh, my wife was doing the running around today, so she went and got the growler filled, and uh, came back, and we tried it, and they accidentally filled it with their winter cider instead of their winter ale, so we had to go back, and we had to get it filled again, So, but the, the best is their names, so the winter cider we ended up with, it's an apple cinnamon cider that's called Baby It's COVID Outside, um, and then, but instead, we got the winter ale here. So this is You're a Mean One 2020. And that's what I'm drinking today. Yes. So, yeah, it's pretty good. It, it's 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 actually got some, a little bit of a spice to it because of, like, the winter. And it's, for being a winter ale, it's really light, which is kind of interesting. I kind of like it. So, uh, so yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I got. They're all about the puns there. Okay, well, let's get into what we've been watching before we get to our featured review and then our deep dive, uh, which Adam has already mentioned. So, um, Adam, I'm going to go to you first because I, I, I know what you're going to talk about in this sec segment, and I'm really curious to find out, what have you been watching? All right, so I did listen to your guys' podcast like I always do, and you guys mentioned a film that's been on my watch list for a very long time. That's 2017's A Ghost Story with Casey Aff Hobo Casey Affleck and uh, Rooney Mara. Uh, so this, I, for whatever reason, this is one of the movies that A24 has put out that gets a lot of criticism and a lot of hate as being a pretentious film company. Uh, and Ghost Story is one of those movies that is a, an acquired taste. However, I found myself kind of being mesmerized by the hypnotic nature of the film, even though it's a very slow pace in what, what my wife would call Adam's Boring Movies. And I think this is a very <laughs> fitting film for me, because I was mesmerized. I was trying to do some editing as well, but I kept finding myself staring at the screen a lot more than I did. I probably was a good thing I was on Netflix. I probably took one or two naps in between, so I was able to pause it, and it was good for... Yeah, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I was paying attention the whole time. But I, I, I loved it. I actually really enjoyed the film. I thought it was kind of a cool thing where the film was going to go and how it wrapped around and made me question what was, like, this little piece of paper that she uh, put into this the building, too. I kind of thought that there was some good thought process, and I just... I didn't, for whatever reason, I just it hit me on the right day, and I enjoyed it. I'm giving this film three stars. However, some funny, in uh, interesting thoughts that I did think about is 2017 seemed to be a great year for uh, kind of those food fetishes coming out with that pie sequence in this uh, film, as well as 2017's I Call Me By Your Name with the Peach. thought that was a very interesting year for that. And Phantom Thread with the mushrooms, was... too. Oh, see, I hadn't seen that one quite Oh, sorry. Yet. Spoiler. <laughs> No, I, I just bought it for Black Friday, so that's it's on my watch list now too. Um, but definitely that the, that kind of ghost with Casey Affleck, uh, I think that was the best use of that sh the quote unquote sheet ghost since uh, Scooby Doo's "Where Are You?" Uh, Hassle in the Castle, Phantom yeah. of the Haunted Isle episode. So I think that was the best use of sheet ghost in the. I love your uh, post of that GIF on Twitter too, saying that you're <laughs> going to watch this. <laughs> yeah, I had to do some like something like that, but yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. It's one of those movies I. You know, it's kind of a mid-range A24 film. I kind of I, I enjoy the studio's work. Not everything hits every all the time, and this might not be so high on rewatches. But for today, I kind of felt really uh, induced by the hypnotic nature of it. So, 
I will say, yeah, I think that's a good that's a good description of it is, is hypnotic, but I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I don't think I don't think Casey Affleck was underneath that the whole at all conspiracy. I really don't. It's probably Toby Jones that like, he's always under like masks and makeup all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredible CGI work in that in in that uh, that that uh, ghost sheet. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Zach, what did, what, what did you watch this week? So, uh, I guess my shtick now is obscure foreign movies. I watched the 1981 Best uh, International <laughs> Film, Foreign Film winner at the Academy Awards, which was a film from Hungary called Mephisto, uh, directed by Izvan Szabo, who actually um, is a somewhat well-known director. He directed Being Julia and Sunshine um, in the United States in the early 2000s. Um, this is a movie that stars Klaus Maria Brandauer, who later got an Oscar nomination playing uh, Meryl Streep's husband in Out of Africa a few years later. And he plays a uh, German um, actor named Hendrik Hofgen, who is uh, basically this sort of leftist uh, Prussian actor when the Nazis come to power in 1932 in Germany. And the movie kind of traces his moral descent. It's kind of like the Breaking Bad of the German uh, playwright um, acting theater scene because basically this guy starts out as a committed uh, opponent of Nazism and then basically is seduced by them and um, basically sort of becomes this like uh, opportunistic bureaucrat who starts controlling all sectors of the theater in Germany. Um, this is a movie that um, I think it's a very sort of pre-Schindler's List movie in a sense because the Nazis in this movie <coughs> kind of follow a pattern that I've seen with other movies about Nazism in this era like The Marriage of Maria Braun and Seven Beauties which is that they're not necessarily like violent psychopaths like they are in Schindler's List. They're more like, you know, they've got like those aristocratic uh, mustaches that they're twirling and they're just kind of like devious, you know, like they want to tie heroines up on the railroad tracks and they're not necessarily violent and evil or masochistic they're just kind of like you know scheming and so um that's sort of an annoying thing about this movie um it does feel like this movie probably had an eight hour cut that the director you know because the scenes go by really fast it's not a great movie i give it two and a half stars i'm kind of like adam i wish i could have been editing the podcast as i was going along watching it um I watched it because Ebert's review said that Klaus Marie Brandauer gave one of the greatest performances he's ever seen in a movie, but I thought it was like, okay. I think, uh, you know, basically every other movie I've seen was better. So, um, yeah, not a great movie. Kind of a disappointment. Was it on Ebert's top ten of that year? That's a great question. I know he gave it four stars, and I want to say it, it was on Ebert's top ten. I was going to say, but that was back when he was given like 25 four stars a year, wasn't it? Well, 81, not necessarily. Oh, 81, I guess not. No. Yeah, I can check real fast. Uh, yes, it was number seven on Ebert's uh, 1982 <laughs> list and number five on Siskel's list. So I guess it got a later release in this country. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was on both uh, his 81 and 82 list. Now, that would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been interesting. Yeah, can I just put... It reminds me of a question I asked Todd earlier this week. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> can I put uncut gems on my 2020 list? If we're doing that, if that's allowed. I've seen no. it on 2020 critics list. <laughs> there we go. That's what the what Boston was it? One year missed. ago today it was released. One year ago today it was released. What a great day that was. Historic. Yeah. We should do a podcast about it. <laughs> I think we've already done several. <laughs> All right, Todd, it's your turn. What have you been watching? 
Uh, so my Nicolas Cage movie, uh, because of the season and the movie we're releasing, or we're going to talk about, I did a Nicolas Cage Christmas movie. It is 2001's Christmas Carol the Movie, directed by Jimmy T. Murakami. And it tells the classic Dickens story about Ebenezer Scrooge, which was played by Simon Callow, who also is, uh, he plays a live and an animated version of him, or he plays a live version of Dickens, like, telling the story in an auditorium at the beginning and end of the movie, but he's also playing Ebenezer Scrooge in the animated part. The animation is kind of awesome. It's like an old, like, hand-drawn French kind of animation, and it looks really good. The ghosts are really scary, especially. And, uh, the, at other times, it kind of looks like an hour-long Nickelodeon special, but with the cast it has and the music, it's kind of irresistible. Like, Kate Winslet plays Belle, and she's perfect. And that's just, I almost wish it wasn't animated, because seeing the actors that they have uh, would have been really fun to see them actually act out the movie. Uh, the <laughs> other actors in it are Michael Gambon, uh, Reese Irfans plays Cratchit, and of course, Nichols Cage plays Marley. And he is, like, absolutely <laughs> going for it. Like, he thinks he's getting nominated for this movie. Like, I, I almost want to know, I want to see footage of him recording his lines. Like, it, it, it he's, like, so in the zone, it's crazy. Um, uh, but, I mean, it tells the, the classic story. It has the right emotional beats. It moves really quick. It's pretty short. It's directed by a, a director who was nominated for an Oscar in 1968 for a Best Short Subject Cartoons for The the Magic Pear Tree. Uh, which, I, don't, I mean, he treats the movie with a lot of care. You could tell he's got a lot of talent. Uh, I just wanted more of Cage. I, I don't know why the mice had to be the main characters in the movie. Uh, Winslet has a song at the end, too. And it sounds, I mean, it's just as beautiful as it sounds it would be. Uh... The movie has shit reviews. Like, it has 13% of Rotten Tomatoes. Those heartless bitches. I'm giving this three stars. Like, I'm putting it number 27 on my cage scale between Wild at Heart and Snowden, which are the two furthest things from Dickens as you can possibly get. <laughs> oh, my word. Wow. That's a great review there. That is a great review. Thank you. I have to check this out. It was streaming somewhere. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. <laughs> streaming somewhere coming to a theater possibly streaming somewhere awesome it was on we screen did picks oh screen picks okay we did introduce uh, uh, our kids to uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol this week so I, I was I, I did get that, that story in at some point nice alright well time for what I've been watching uh, I got a couple things I'm going to report on first I finally finished the first season of The Right Stuff on Disney Plus and this is an awesome show you guys need to watch it because I want to make sure there's a season 2 so go out watch this show 8 episodes looking at the original Mercury Astronauts um, I talked about it before when I first started it it got better and better as it went along and it really kind of focused a lot on the rivalry between Alan Shepard and John Glenn um, and how they're very, they're really very similar, but on polar opposites in their attitude towards it. Uh, Alan Shepard's kind of more of like the the playboy hotshot that has to, you know, um, that uh, the quick thrills and all this stuff. And John Glenn is the button-up, straight arrow boy scout. Um, I, I said at first that there was nobody that really uh, was of any note in it but after i looked at it there were some so like john glenn todd will know this uh this person john glenn is played by one of the leads from suits patrick j adams oh yeah 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 he's, yeah. The, he's the main yeah he's the main character yeah <laughs> I, so I love he's, that actor he looks like yeah. todd mcshay 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Anyways, he's he's John Glenn, and then Alan Shepard is uh, Jake McDorman, who uh, actually plays the ex-boyfriend in the in the uh, movie we're about to talk about, uh, and he also was the lead in the Limitless TV show. Uh, so uh, so there there's some connections there. The guy who plays Gordon Cooper was on Once Upon a Time. So some guys from some TV shows just that I haven't watched. So I hadn't rec- I didn't recognize them, but it's really good. Um, check it out. They're, they're obviously setting it up for a season two, and I want to make sure it happens, so everyone go out and watch the right stuff. Okay. And Zach, I'm surprised you haven't watched it yet. That That's going to be your Christmas break watch. You're going to you're gonna binge watch the right stuff. I'll think about it. <laughs> Seriously! Come on! You got to. Okay. Uh, so my, uh, my anniversary watch for this week was, uh, I'm not going to make you guys guess because it was a nomination for Best Documentary, so I doubt you're going to figure it out. Um, so, uh, going back to 2000, it is Scottsboro, an American tragedy. Uh, and it is, um, it's a documentary about the, the Scottsboro boys, which was a, uh, group of African American boys in the 1930s that ranged from like ages like 13 to 19 that were, um, riding a train in the South and, um, got into, um, a scuffle with some people. And when they got off two women accused them of raping them. And it's a documentary of their trial, how they were kind of railroaded and uh, into getting a guilty verdict. And it kind of ruined all their lives before they even started. Um, it is a... One of the things that I found really interesting is how much, how far documentaries have come since 2000 and the, just kind of the, the genre in general. Um, this was a uh, PBS documentary, like uh, it was part of the American Experience series, um, and these these documentaries don't get nominated anymore because there's so many different ones. It felt very much like a documentary that you would, you know, a, one of those boring documentaries you would be forced to watch in a in a high school classroom when the sub was there. Uh, just a very, very straightforward interviews and narration and just people talking to you. It was not very engaging, even though the story should have been. Um, but it, it was a story I hadn't seen, I hadn't heard much about before. Uh, I'm giving it two and a half stars. I wish it, uh, this, this story, this portion of history deserves a better telling than this. But, um, but yeah, I found it really interesting that this was, that it, this straight to PBS documentary gets an oscar nomination and just looking at like that from the the 2000 lineup because this was the last of the 2000 documentaries i needed to see uh compared to the 2010 lineup it's such a completely different thing because this is probably this is one of like three or four that are kind of that traditional feeling documentary and um and there's just been so many more innovations in creativity and storytelling through documentary that have that's happened over the last 20 years that it's just fascinating to go back and look at 2000 and see just kind of how humdrum they can make a story like this be. So I will say, since it is my last one, uh, I have my rankings of the five nominated for, uh, for Best Documentary in 2000. You're not going to get this anywhere else. The, the top five... The rankings of the best best documentary nominees from 2000. So number five, I put Scottsboro, an American tragedy. Number four is Legacy, which I talked about on an earlier podcast. Story of an inner city um, 
family trying to struggle and get out of there. Number three, Long Night's Journey into Day, uh, which was about uh, South Africa and the apartheid peace um, hearings, um, reconciliation hearings. Um, number two, Into the Arms of Strangers, which was the winner, uh, which talked about the um, the uh, a kind of adoption of kids during the Holocaust and getting them out of harm's way. And number one, by far number one, my favorite documentary of the five, Sound and Fury, which actually goes along really well with what we talked about last week, which is a story of a deaf family and, um, and their integration into a deaf community and how um, them wanting to get the cochlear implant that Riz Ahmed is looking at getting in Sound of Metal, how that kind of uh, really forces them to kind of abandon the deaf community and how they see it as almost like a betrayal be, um, to their community for even thinking about getting it. So um, that one is, is definitely on another level from the rest of them. The re rest of them are very traditional documentary uh, fare. So there you go. Like I said, you're not getting stuff like that anywhere else. So does this mean you're going to watch the 2001 documentary nominees? Uh, that that's that's my plan. I've got them on a list for next year. Because the winner of the 2001 Best Documentary is, I think, one of the all-time great documentaries, Murder on a Sunday Morning. And I will watch... Yeah, we've talked about that a few uh, times on the podcast. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, I, I'll watch the right stuff if you watch Murder on a Sunday Morning. I, I would love to hear your thoughts about it. I think it's an incredible documentary. Well, I've already put together my list for next year. Um, and uh, the anniversary movies I'm going to be watching. And so that's def that's on the list. It'll be it'll be tw 2011, 2001, all the nominees I haven't seen yet, and then uh, 1991 filling in until I get to a list of 52 movies long. So, yeah, Murder on a Sunday Morning is on the list. I should be getting to it. Looks like mid-year next year I'll be getting to Murder on a Sunday Morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I've already got it all figured out. I, I completely just randomize it because I didn't... I, I hate the feeling of what movie am I going to watch. So if I can find a way to for something to tell me what movie I'm going to watch, I like it even better. You sound so at what point do you start going further back when you've like get, gotten to the point where you've seen all of the ones from like 10 and 20 years? Like so then and you have watched gonna, them when they come out. So then I don't know. Then I'll go further back. I, I'm gonna I'll see how many I can find. So far this year there was one I couldn't find. There's only one I couldn't find, either streaming anywhere or to rent anywhere or to buy. I mean, I think I could have bought, like, the VHS. It was The Field from 1990. I mentioned it yeah. before. I could Just have bought it for, TCM like... TCM for a while. It'll probably pop up. Speaking of TCM, completely off the topic, and then we'll get to our featured review. December 22nd. That, I think it... I forget what day. Is that a Monday? That's, I think it's a Monday. That afternoon, come to the stable is playing on TCM as part of their Christmas marathon. All right. Nice. I, I, I saw that and I was like, I, I had to mention it. Come to the stable. We'll get, get that. Adam, have you seen You haven't seen the, it yet, have you? Adam hasn't seen it. Put it on the list. He's writing it down. <laughs> Sister Margaret. Wasn't that her name? <laughs> I think so. Was she the tennis Sister player? Something. No, they... Yeah, she was the badass. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's get to our uh, our featured review now. Now that we're almost a half hour into this podcast, uh, our featured review this week we are looking at Happiest Season. Came out a few weeks ago, but we wanted to do a holiday movie because we are reviewing a holiday classic. 
Uh, Todd, you're first. Tell us all about Happiest Season and what you thought. Okay, it is directed by Clea Duvall. It is about a girl named Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis, and she is taking her girlfriend, Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, home for the holidays, and Abby plans on proposing. The only catch is that Harper hasn't come out to her parents yet, so Abby starts to question her relationship with Harper, especially when she gets, like, kind of spooked by her parents and by the acquaintances she keeps running into in, in Pittsburgh. It's, like, a really snowy week when they're there. And we don't review a lot of, like, really stupid, sappy, no-stakes, happy rom-coms on this podcast, but when we do, we get a shit on them, So, which is fun! So this is gonna be cool. Uh, this is nothing more than an exquisitely cast Hallmark Christmas special. Like, honestly, heading to the Harper's parents' house, I was hoping it was, like, Get Out or something. It was, like, this, like, slow build-up to something really crazy. They even put her in the basement. And, no, uh, it never, it is so lame from the start, it never gets any better. Um, I haven't seen it, but the ha the Family Stone seems like a good comparison. Uh, the cast is really good and eclectic, like, but those garbage movies like Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and Collateral Beauty, they still suck regardless of the cast. Uh, this one definitely takes its place among those. Uh, there's awkward dialogue, the oh-so-important secret that everyone's keeping and, uh, fumbling around words, like the kooky music. Uh, like... I don't know, every cliche in the book, and not just, like, holiday movies, but, like, returning to your hometown movies. Like, she just randomly runs into her famous exes on the same night. Oh, shit, that's so exciting. Or, like, oh, the competitive sibling trying to ruin everything? I've never seen that. That's astonishing. Damn, like, I don't know. Kristen Stewart's disinterested in the movie. Mackenzie Davis is fine. Daniel Levy is that character in every movie. Like, the Lil Rel Howery character in, uh, in Get Out. Like, he's just the, the... He's on the phone with the lead the whole time, like, talking about how shitty everything is and giving advice like the characters in every movie mary holland is the one character i actually kind of liked like she was doing something but she also co-wrote the movie so maybe she had different plans for it uh i just wanted the movie to end which i never thought i would say about a movie with aubrey plaza and allison brie or two of my favorite actresses in the entire world i almost wanted to have a movie about the mall security guards like lauren lapkiss and timothy simons are kind of doing something they have one scene but they come in with the dumbest little plot twist in the movie I also wanted more of, like, Abby and Riley together. I kind of wanted them to end up together or whatever. I don't know. I, I gave the movie a chance, and I only finished it because I had to review it for this podcast. It is, like, Hallmark hot garbage. Like, the cast is brought down because the screenplay is so bad, and the directing is really bad, too. We can't even enjoy the actors. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, two of my favorite actresses are giving, like, 50%, and so you put those two half-stars together, you get one star... It's one of the worst movies of the year. I'm ranking it just below Desperados. Whoa. Terrible movie. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see here. Zach, you're next. Yeah, I didn't hate it nearly as much as Todd, um, but I was by no means a fan of this movie either. Um, I, I'll echo a lot of what Todd said. I thought it was very derivative. I, the the, the um, lineage that I thought it was, I thought it was uh, Meet the Parents meets Lacage au Faux, although I don't think the movie's intelligent enough to know what Lacage au Faux is. But I also yeah. like your comparison to Get Out as well. Um, you're right, every single cliche, every single implausibility, oh, look who she happened to run into. Um, it's it's uh, you know not even sitcom level. Um, the writing is embarrassing. The performances are over the top. Um, you know, you want a more dignified performance out of like Victor Garber and Mary Steenburgen, who you know have. I mean, the, these are kind of interesting characters, but the movie the movie touches on I think what what are some universal and potentially you know fairly um, 
I want significant issues about sexual identity and gender. Um, but of course, this movie doesn't really want to tackle them in any sincere way because it's, like Todd said, a glorified uh, Hallmark movie. I'm giving the movie two stars, though, because of, of an actor's, or actor that Todd pointed out, which is Mary Holland. She is the uh, MVP of this movie and the highest war performance. Every, every scene she's in, she is great. And she has this kind of great, awkward presence that's a little bit reminiscent of um, Jan Brady in the Brady Bunch movies in the 90s. She's like, well, you know, yeah. uh, she, she, you know, she's like this strange sort of artist who's like kind of in her own world. And I like the running gag that she um, is really only there to fix the father's internet issues um, and like wireless router. So she's funny. The rest of the movie though is is pretty bad so two stars okay all right is this Adam, race decline where you oh, with this one no, okay god there's, there's more than three of us today <laughs> i know i know so uh, adam zach, what do you think go for it zach sent me a text saying i bet you two million dollars to get this three stars so i have i could just bet, say any number right now other than three stars i get two million bucks so <laughs> so two th- okay, this the movie I thought immediately right away was a movie with a great cast from 2014 which I did give three stars in 2014 and, and that film is This Is Where I Leave You which had a great cast about kind of a, this weird fam- family dynamic it's definitely different but it's not a good movie and that is exactly what this is I really just kind of wanted it to end kind of everything that you guys said i think the most interesting character was the one sister who always fixes the internet and i also really enjoyed every time aubrey plaza was on screen but i'm just a big fan of hers anyway so every time she showed up i just wanted to see more of that and that dynamic with kristen stewart and aubrey plaza i think would have been a super interesting maybe story or movie in itself but yeah this movie is just a a two-star film uh there's nothing it's better than the other Christmassy movie that I got from seen from Netflix called The Holiday, which was horrible. So, oh, I want, uh, we want to hear about think, that. Uh, yeah, well, my review is online, almostsideways.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna be different. I couldn't help but be charmed by this. I'm giving it three stars. Uh, yeah, and and honestly, I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you guys have said. I just liked it. I, I, it was, it was the right. The right time, the right moment for me to really just get into a movie like this. I wasn't really expecting much more than it ended up being. Um, and because of that, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like an elevated cast Hallmark movie. Um, I, I thought immediately it was like Christmas meet the parents that wasn't slapstick. Um, and, uh, and But I, I didn't really care. It, it was it not it slapstick, was though? <laughs> Well, wasn't wasn't trying as hard to be slapstick as as something like Meet the Parents, um, but no, I, I I I enjoyed it. It was it was just a charming little movie, and that's all it needed to be, and that's all I wanted it to be, and that's what I got. And so, it's it's getting its three stars. However, I will say, um, yeah, you're you're you guys had the had a good call. Mary Holland's character is 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 great. Um, I really like Dan Levy in this. Um, however, I will say. Um, this is the first time I've seen him in something. I haven't watched any Shit's Creek or anything like that, but seeing someone who looks that much like his father and sounds that far apart from his father was throwing me off so bad, considering Eugene Levy is so iconic in his look and his sound, and to have someone like Dan look so much like that iconic look 
and sound the furthest from what his father sounds like, it was throwing me off the entire the entire movie. But he's really good. So yeah. this movie has an eighty three percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Who are these critics? I mean, obviously Terry's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a bunch of people that really like this movie on on Letterbox. I, I, a lot of people I actually know do have given like at least three and a half out of five, four stars. You know, yeah, it's it's weird. They, yeah. they say they were just charmed and adored by it. That's usually like everybody had that same exact sentence. I was charmed and adored by this film. That's the same sentence in every single least one of these reviews on Letterboxd. Yeah, go. Like, I if mean, you this would have read off was... this cast, to me, bef- like, I would have said, like, this is going to be one of my favorite movies. And I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe, I, I'm embarrassed for the actors that they appeared in this. <laughs> yeah, go. Together. It was, it, it was never going to be like this, like this crazy emotional classic, but. So was I an idiot for having this movie. on my beginning of year Oscar predictions for like <laughs> screenplay and stuff? Yeah, you were. <laughs> wow. A, a movie directed by an actor that I, is not a mainstream actor. I, I thought this was going to be more like a Joe Swanberg movie or something like that. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I also. I can see that so expectation. I'll also admit that I was going to give this movie two and a half stars until I heard Todd's review. That knocked it down a half star. He made some really compelling points. But one thing I also liked about the movie that had nothing to I'm do. I'm glad I went first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am too. You, you, you elucidated some points. Um, I like Clea Duvall. I can't really point her out in anything, but at one point in time, she was my best supporting actress winner from 2002 for a movie called 13 Conversations About One Thing. Um, I don't really remember anything about the movie, but she has appeared on my Microsoft Excel spreadsheet of movies I've watched, so I recognize the Ter- name. Terry liked her in Girl Interrupted. Yeah, oh, she's, she's in Girl Interrupted. Okay. Yep, and then uh, and then after I looked her up, she was also in Argo. She was one of the, yes, oh, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, people yeah. that That's was right. in hiding in Argo. Oh. All right. And yeah, um, and the ex-boyfriend is none other than Alan Shepard from The Right Stuff, so there you go. All the more reason to watch the right stuff. <laughs> I just want—I just want to share this with somebody. I know no one else that has watched any of that show. Anyways, well, none okay. of us watched Space Force either, Terry. So I know, I know. Space Force was garbage compared to the right stuff, though. It was, it's garbage. Period. Anyways, let's move on. Let, let's move into what we're really here to talk about, and that's—it's a wonderful life. Uh, this is what won our poll that we did on what holiday movie we were going to deep dive honestly it was the last one i think any of us thought was going to win but uh it's the one that won uh we've never done a deep dive of a movie this old before I, we were talking about this what was the oldest one that we've done a deep dive of it was uh cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest, nest right yeah so 30 years yeah Thir- yeah so this is uh yeah 1946 so this movie is celebrating its what 74 fourth anniversary this year <laughs> and so we're talking about it uh anyways so we're oh, gonna but start in like two with... weeks it'll be 75 right we're gonna be the yeah, first yeah, pe- exactly. we're gonna be the first podcast out there with a deep dive of it after all these fools do it next year to celebrate 75 exactly we're, we're just exactly. ahead of the curve well uh <laughs> so we're gonna get into this uh as we always do with uh some trivia todd's got trivia for us Adam just watched this for the first time, so he's gonna—he's just gonna kind of hang out and make fun of Zach and I about how bad we are at this trivia game. However, Zach's gonna probably destroy me at it. But uh, Todd, how are we do? How are we uh, doing? This? I guess I'll start with Terry then. So then, I mean, if you think Zach's gonna destroy him, all right. Okay. All right. 
All right. So we have 11 questions worth 19 points. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't know. I mean, I don't think these are that difficult, but we'll see. Uh, so my first one is one is one of my questions, <laughs> which is, It's a Wonderful Life was number one on the 100 Years, 100 Cheers list. What were the rest of the top five? Um... I'm gonna go Rocky. That was on there. That was number uh, four. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. That is incorrect. Oh. Do I kind of keep going, or can, uh, I, can I name? How about I, I name? Just name four. Name four. Point. Okay. Um, let's see here. What else would be on a top cheers list? Um. I'm gonna say Star Wars. Star Wars. I mean, something like. Okay, yeah, I didn't think so, but you know, some that sometimes something like that pops up. Um, the okay, I'm done. Okay. Uh, number two was To Kill a Mockingbird. Number three, Schindler's List, and number five was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes, because what I think of when I think of Schindler's List is Cheers. <laughs> Inspirational, yeah. I know. I, I've never really understood that either. Okay. Second question about the movie this time. Um, what does Violet buy at the at Gower's drugstore from George at the beginning of the movie? Oh, 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 oh. Um, soda pop? I'm wrong. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. Uh, yeah, I would have never gotten that. <laughs> what Jack's is the name of the town theater? It's shown a few times, but uh, yeah. he actually says it when he's when he's like saying uh, whatever. He's like thankful for all these things when he's running down the street at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... The Bedford Movie House? I don't know. The, the Bijou Cinema. Bijou Cinema. Zach's gonna get that one too. What is Mary's brother's name? Oh. Stuart. It's Marty. Marty. Mary and Marty. Uh, what jersey number? Was George wearing when after falling out of the or falling into the pool? Wasn't it three? It was three. That's correct. Ask a jersey number question. I'm gonna get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I thought that when I was writing the question. <laughs> uh, what four places does George say that he's going to travel to when he's talking to Mary? Oh oh, oh the Amazon. That That's is wrong. not wrong. Or that is wrong. Mount Everest? It's not right. No. Yeah. Uh, he okay. says, I'll go to, I'm going to go to Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Okay. Even though the Parthenon's in Greece, but okay. Well, I know, and the Colosseum's in Italy. And the Colosseum's in Italy, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, those yeah, are the four okay. things that you okay. What are the three most exciting sounds to George? Uh, oh, 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 the train whistle? That's one. Um, oh, 
gosh. Mm. The church bells. That's I don't remember the other the other Anch two. I'm... Anchor chains and plane motors. That's yeah. Where was Mary vacationing to before getting homesick? Yeah, I have no clue. New York. Okay. Uh, what does George call Potter after rejecting the job after offer? Oh, 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 ah! Uh, it's not gonna come to me, but I, I know. Yeah, nope, nope. You're a scurvy little spider. <laughs> yeah, That's I, only Jimmy I, I can never do a Jimmy Stewart impression. Uh, uh, what does George's son ask him to spell? Nope. I was going to ask you how to spell it, <laughs> but I mean, this is a better question. It was, it was frankincense. <laughs> I, I should have known that. Oh, well. Uh, and what is George's address? Uh, 32 Sycamore Lane. You're close. 320 Sycamore. 320 Sycamore. He's, ah, oh, come on, you know, it's 320 Sycamore. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a half a point. It's great. You're gonna. You have three I, and a half. I was You're a zero. I was a zero away from having that. I said thirty-two. You're gonna get your ass kicked on this. <laughs> I am. I totally am. Okay. All right. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, we have eleven questions worth nineteen points. All right. Uh, do you want to know Terry's score? Yes. Uh, he got less than four and more than three. Okay. I think I can do it. Um, yeah, could, yeah. Every single one of the questions, as I fin as I was answering, I'm like, "That's wrong," and Zach's gonna get it. Uh, so the first question, you <laughs> could the first question. You could win it on this one if you know this. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life was number one on the 100 Years 100 Cheers list. What were the rest of the top five? Uh, the Shawshank Redemption. That is not correct, shockingly. You can but name you four get... movies. Oh, I, I can name, I can keep naming them? Okay. Um, I said Shawshank 2, by the way. But I got one. I actually got one. Apollo 13? That's not right. Should have been. Stupid list. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say something. Might one one Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest? That is not correct. That was like 20 or something. I... The, one, the one I got is the only one that other than It's a Wonderful Life that belongs on this list. Um, Casablanca. That's wrong. One of them has been mentioned on this podcast before by you. That is, Schindler's List was number three. Ah. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, number two. Uh, number four was Rocky, and number five Rocky. was uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. So you are statistically behind Terry at this point in the game. <laughs> I got Rocky. That's the one I got. What does Violet buy at Gower's Drugstore from George at the beginning? Uh, well, it's not ice cream, is it? No. I don't know. It, it was shoelaces. Okay. And they were like two cents. Two cents of shoelaces. Uh, what is the name of the town theater? 
the Apollo. <laughs> I don't know. The, B- the Bijou Cinema. Oh, that's right. I should have known that because the Bijou was the theater I grew up going to in Eugene. I noticed that this time watching it. I feel stupid now. <laughs> I know the Bells of St. Mary's were, was playing there. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask that because that would have been the question too easy. you would have asked. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is Mary's brother's name? Oh, wow. I didn't even know she had a brother. I have no clue. Rico. <laughs> well, he introduces her at the pool party. Oh, that thing. makes sense. It becomes okay. a pool party. It's yeah, Marty. Marty. Marty and Mary. Okay, so uh, that's interesting because Marty does appear later in the movie. He's one of the people that goes off to war and he, like, saves a bridge or something. I remember. Because I was like, who the, who the hell is Marty? But anyway, okay, that makes sense now. <laughs> All right, uh, this is not going as planned. You are still blind, Terry. Uh, what number jersey was George wearing after falling into the pool? Three? That's correct. <laughs> of course, Terry got that one. I got that one. I got the jersey number question. What four places does George tell Mary that he's going to travel to? <sighs> Africa, Asia... Paris, London. I don't know. None of those are right. It is Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, and the Colosseum. Pick the randomest shit, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are the three most exciting sounds to George? What? <laughs> wow, I might win this. <laughs> yeah, you really... You're this in is good like, shape right now. This is like... <laughs> Payback for the Goodfellas trivia. This is ridiculous. The, um, I, I, I at least like knew every see, every like moment you were referencing. No, one of them you did not. One of them I didn't. This one I definitely I got one of them on this. I have the no most exciting sounds. I, I have no clue. I give up. They are anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. I don't even hear the train whistle. Know what it's one of the most from. exciting sounds I, in the world. Yeah, it's when it's when his brother's coming home on the train. Oh, and he's talking to Uncle Billy. Yeah, did you watch yeah. the movie? Apparently not. <laughs> don't you, don't you watch this movie every Christmas? That's what you said. <laughs> and you never you haven't watched a Charlie Brown Christmas in twenty years. That's true, according to you last year. But I did know he was number three. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, where was Mary vacationing to before getting homesick? You're asking some really hard questions. You're asking it from parts of the movie that I generally don't watch as intently, <laughs> like the first hour. Um, I have no clue. This cl- is not the first Flo- hour. Florida. I don't know. It was New York. Okay. Okay, it is one to three and a half, and there are three questions left. Uh, what does George call Potter after rejecting the job offer? A warped, uh, a, a warped old man. Warped, twisted oh. old man. Well, he's... I mean, I wouldn't say that's not an... In, I don't know. I, he, <laughs> I, I think he does say that in that scene, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what, what else? Uh, he calls him a he spider. Calls him a, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. A scurvy little spider. Yeah, okay. I should get two points for that. <laughs> I'm giving you a point for that, I think. Uh, what does George's son ask him to spell? Frankincense. That's correct. Now we're getting the part of the movie, part of the movie that I actually watched. There we go. What for for the for, for the, the game. game? 
Three to three and a half, a question that Terry got half a point on. <laughs> I was really close. I was really close. What is George's address? 320 Sycamore. That is ah! correct. Four to three and a half. <laughs> a comeback. <laughs> that probably is the most intense one of these we've ever had. Don't call it I a s- comeback. <laughs> I said 32 Sycamore. Oh, so close. I was really close. I was really close. Uh, Those questions but, were not that far off from what we normally ask each other. They weren't. They weren't. They were great questions. I'm, every one of them was like, oh, Zach's going to get this. Because I was thinking that, you know, as you as you told us, you actually watch this movie all the okay, time. Okay, well, you know what? Like but, Goodfellas, it's hard to sometimes follow all the dialogue in this movie because of the way James Stewart speaks. Like, you don't always <laughs> understand what he's saying, and it's sometimes spoken so quickly. And this is true of other James Stewart movies that, like, I... I don't know what he was saying. Just kind of move on. It might have also been the liquor. All right. <laughs> and a lot of liquor. Which um, you are not consuming at this moment. Yeah, I yeah. Got, I would have got think it would canceled out. You got two? Would've gotten, which, which two would you have gotten? The shoelaces I, and I three, the 320. Or the, uh, okay. the, the street address, yeah. Well, Adam, this is your first time watching this, so I'm going to let you start. Yes. And tell us what you thought of this, because we're all kind of curious. Being someone who's never seen It's a Wonderful Life before, somehow, never watching it, what did you think watching it for the first time? I thought about an hour and a half in, I was like, how is this a Christmas movie? Because <laughs> <very fair. laughs> yeah. I was like, I, it's a lot of like mortgages and money trans- or not maybe not mortgages but like money trans- like this is like a banker bankers movie like <laughs> how is this a renowned christmas movie but like that last 40 minutes man that is where this film is really fantastic and it's some of the best like christmasy type of scenes i've ever seen and it's uh, it obviously i think the, the ones i've seen a lot is christmas carol so you see you know, like a, there's a lot of similarities you can comparison i i, I feel and but I absolutely love that, that that ending. And I, right when my wife came home, I was like just telling her, I was like telling her the whole movie verbatim, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm still not interested, but I'm glad you liked it." So. Oh, <laughs> that's sad. No, but no, that's that's hey, she, it's good. Though. I I really like the movie, and I uh, even though the the like the first half, the first beginning of it was really interesting, and then the middle of it kind of is slower, but that ending just like really notched it up. I think it's a, a fantastic movie. I, I still I give it four stars for the fact that when the ending hits, it, it can really make or break a movie, and this one really kind of pushed it up from a three, three-and-a-half-star movie to a four for me. And uh, I like James Stewart's performance. I don't think he's necessarily the hardest one to uh, recast, but I like this a lot of the like, lot of... I like a lot of the cast here, and I don't know why I've never watched this. Something that just never never was in our house or even mentioned it growing up either. We kind of stuck to like the Home Alone movies and uh, Jingle All the Way, those those cheesy oh, '90s yeah. movies. So uh, I got a real Turbo Man at home. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that's what I really uh, that's kind of movie I watched. But I really enjoyed. it. I think I can definitely see I'll be uh, pulling a sack and watching the last forty minutes every Christmas now. <laughs> Yes. Well, what's fascinating is I think when so many people think of It's a Wonderful Life, they think those last 40 minutes are the whole movie, and they forget about the the, the first hour and a half, which sets up, and if sets it up was, but it wasn't yeah. for that first hour and a half, the last 40 minutes wouldn't pay off the way it does. Now, Zach, I think you've seen this movie more than anybody else here, so tell us about Allegedly. your experience with it. <laughs> Apparently <Allegedly>. not. <laughs> I did lose the Terry on Clueless trivia, too, so maybe I just... That's true, that's true. 
Well, what I was gonna I was gonna say quickly that you know it wasn't ever it intended to be a Christmas movie. I mean, I, I guess like it originally was supposed to come out in January 1947. They pushed the release up, and originally Capra had intended it to be more a movie about the perseverance of the American spirit after World War II. So it's I mean, and Adam's right. Like the first 90 minutes have very little to do with Christmas at all. So. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that that is interesting. But anyway, yeah, I, I yeah, I thought I'd seen this movie a lot. Apparently not. I think it's the best Christmas movie ever made. I think it's it's my second favorite movie from the 1940s. Casablanca is my favorite. Um, I think it's a movie that has aged remarkably well. I don't find it cheesy at all. I think it's a virtually perfect movie uh, in every way. But that being said, I don't watch it. At, you can have too much of a perfect thing. So I think watching this movie not in the month of December is a little bit sacrilegious. Yeah. I, I This time watching, I've probably seen this like two or three times all the way through. Like this was maybe the third time I'd watched it all the way through. I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but actually taking time to watch it all the way through. And it's funny because we talk about you know the last 40 minutes or what everyone thinks about i really focused on the first hour and a half when i watched it this time and just the the heartbreaking story of of uh of jimmy stewart's character of george bailey just the heartbreaking story of that first hour and a half of how every nothing goes the way he wants it to go and everything whether it be whether it be family obligation or or um, wanting to do the right thing, he he doesn't get what he wants because he has to do what he has to do, and and I mean that just that just spoke to me as just it, it's such a heartbreaking thing and and Jimmy Stewart plays that so well, no one quite acts with their <clears throat> face quite as well as jimmy stewart i mean it just his facial expressions can communicate so much um and i i thought that was that was just great also i will say so this is on free on amazon prime and as i was looking it up i was like huh there's a colorized version of this and so this time i'd never watched it I'm like you know what I'm going to try the colorized version and they do a really good job with it and it it has a it gives it a different feel but I I like the black and white better but um they do a good job with the colorized version I will say that Todd how about you Also sad uh, I also watched the colorized version and it oh, does wow. not I don't think it works as well like it it looks like a night like a <clears throat> it looks like north by northwest or something like it is way too color and it looks like Hitchcock. I don't know. I, I don't think it worked as well. But I, I don't know. I've seen the movie once before. I this. agree. I agree. It doesn't work as well. But I think I think they did a good job colorizing it. I watched it once before this, but I feel like everybody knows it's Wonderful Life. They just maybe haven't seen it very much, but they know. I mean, they know the story. They know the quotes. They know the beats. I don't. I don't think it really ages really that well. I think it's definitely a movie of its time. But I. I still do enjoy watching watching the movie. I. I was. I'm never bored with it. But I. I do like the first hour and a half or so more than than the rest of it because it does get pretty sappy uh, in the second in the in the end. But, it's a. I. Don't, I mean. I don't. I don't really get its all time status. Like this is like in the top like thirty of IMDb, and it's looked at now as one of the all time classics. I don't. I don't get it uh but uh maybe that's just me um maybe that's the way people look at the Shawshank Redemption because I I would put that as more of like the all-time 
uh, inspirational movie kind of thing. But uh, it, it uh, I, I, I respect the movie, but I, I don't really love it the way that you guys do. Yeah, well, and the Shawshank Redemption is a great sort of parallel with it because, like the Shawshank Redemption, It's a Wonderful Life wasn't really beloved when it came out. It didn't really do well at the Oscars. It's a movie that kind of took time to develop a taste for. And then also, like the Shawshank Redemption, I, I find it extremely moving because it's a story about someone who basically sacrifices their entire life in circumstances that they never thought or they would be in or ever wanted to be in and you see how actually at the end of the story it ends up being a triumph and they overcome all these obstacles in this kind of really unexpected way and yeah it's absolutely fair to call the movie cheesy but like i think that's really moving i mean i think i think people people can associate with george bailey because they feel like they're also stuck in dead-end jobs and they were never able to make their aspirations come true but you'd like to think that somewhere down the line there's some sort of payoff for that maybe it's also like the last scene of, of mr holland's opus i don't know that's a, that's a good comparison too. Is is the end of end of Mr. Holland's opus, and so yeah. So this was not a movie that got great, was really well accepted in its time. Like we were just saying, it was kind of took a while. At the same time, it did have five Oscar nominations that year: picture, actor, director, sound, and editing. So it did get some love from the Academy, even though it didn't win anything. It, I mean, getting that best picture nomination back then still was was. Uh, was something. It was a pretty lousy Best Picture lineup that year. I've seen all of them, and I'm not sure I give any of them three stars or higher. Or other than This Wonderful Life. So, I mean, it probably should have won, I guess. And there are some great movies from 1946, but you're right, the Oscars that year were just kind of way off. So, Best Years of Our Lives was the winner. Henry V, The Razor's Edge, and The Yearling. Like, where, where is Notorious on that list? Which is my favorite Hitchcock movie. You know, where's My Darling Clementine? Where's Great Expectations or The Big Sleep? Like, there are some classic movies from that year that just made no appearances at that Oscars at all. Gilda, Gilda is another great movie. Yeah. It's also Mickey Rourke's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> that is good to know. <laughs> I'm tr- throwing out some knowledge here. Facts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and then, you know, of course, the other legendary story of this movie is that, you know, you're right, it wasn't well regarded at at its time. And so, you know, they allowed the copyright to expire on it. And I think the studio studio like sold off the rights on it. And so the royalty expired. And so like PBS and local stations started showing it in the 1970s and 80s. And that's when people sort of um, saw it. And that's when it kind of became rediscovered and restored and kind of ascertained the status that it has today because people didn't really find it that special in the 1940s. But Frank Capra always did say that it was his favorite movie that he made. That's weird. (laughs) And that that is, yeah. I I, I just find it crazy how you have a movie like this with with the pedigree of this, of Capra and Jimmy Stewart. Well... That, that, yeah, is that much not... Uh, hit. Yeah, I mean, well, this was Donna Reed's first movie, too. I mean, you know, it wasn't, like, an, an incredible cast. It, it was a really expensive production at the time I was I was reading. It, it took 84 days to film, and it cost, like, $3 million to film in 1946, which was a lot of money. And it was kind of a box office bomb, to some degree. So is this going to be, like, News of the World? This is, like, Paul Greengrass and Tom Hanks coming together, and uh, it's going to be a flop, but then, like, 20 years, we're going to look at it as, like, a classic and you're going to look like, how is that not a classic? I mean, that that's kind of a 
tall order to say for a film that hasn't even been released yet, but... You know, I think we, we've already said that Come the Stable is that, right? Like, no one ever watched that, and uh, yeah, we're, we're bringing it back. Except for us. Did, did, did you lose the lights there for a second, Zach? Oh, yeah. This is a, this is a terrible motion detector, so if there's not students in the classroom, it, they go out every half hour or so. So just be ready for that. It's nice, fun. Nice, I have to move. Uh, there was something I was going to say, and it's, 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 gone. it's gone. Oh, now I remember. Uh, so um, I think I was reading somewhere, this was kind of like Jimmy Stewart's returned to Hollywood in some ways after World War II as well. Is that is that right? Because he he left uh, I like very soon after he won his Oscar for Philadelphia Story, he left and was a was a pilot in World War II. And this was this was his return back in the film industry, Zach. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, and same with Frank Capra too because Frank Capra went off to war to film the Why We Fight series along with John Huston right. and a few other directors as well. Another thing I neglected to mention is one of the re- one of the things I love about this movie is I also think it's probably unabashedly the most socialist left-wing movie to ever come out of the studio system, which is ironic considering that Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart were both Republicans. But the script was written by Dalton Trumbo and other people sort of uncredited. Um, Even Dorothy Parker, I think, had some uncredited contributions to it. And it is like a total anti-capitalist script. I mean, every, every single horrible thing you could think about, you know, the pursuit of profit and revenue and, you know, like Adam was saying, I mean, the banking system. I mean, this movie just totally completely uh criticizes and admonishes and so uh you know i i think that's sort of fun and that's definitely held up well in the last 60 years <laughs> 70 years that, that that is definitely an interesting part of it and i, I noticed that too and it, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to uh ignore that piece of it for sure all right well let's get into our next our next portion here which is going to be uh building our mount rushmore and we're doing a Mount Rushmore of Jimmy Stewart. Now, with Adam here, we don't have a consensus pick, so we're all going to pick one to submit. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm going to go first because I have one I want to make sure I get to be the one that picks, mm, So and I'm be. the one that's running things, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, and uh, when I think Jimmy Stewart, uh, I think of one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Which is on the it's... paper in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it says, Mr. Pa- Mr. Smith wins election. Oh, I didn't see that. That's awesome. I... <laughs> but no, it's, it's... I think it's, that was Al Smith, I, I think 1928 it's... election, but okay. Well, you know, that's not what it's going for. <laughs> um, I, uh... Yeah, it, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's it's the best Jimmy Stewart ever ever did. Um, it's just this wide-eyed, naive lover of history that ends up in in Senate and and him fighting against the corruption. And and I mean, it, it's a very similar kind of themes to to It's a Wonderful Life. It's just a much younger version of uh, of uh, of Jimmy Stewart doing this and. Um, and the, just the the final scene and how it all plays out with Claude Rains, it, it's it's just amazing. And if you if you love if you love history in any way, um, I I would I would always show this to my my history class um, just as, because I can <laughs> and, and I love it. So uh, um, 
uh, yeah, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington has to be on it, and it, it has to be my pick. So that's what I'm going with. That's my submission. All right. That's over. That's done with. Okay. Adam. Zach, you're... Oh, Adam next? Adam next. Let's do it. Adam, you're next. What's oh, your Jimmy gosh, Stewart submission? Okay. Uh, well, there's there's one film I do want to mention. I kind of really enjoyed. It was called Call of Northside ninety or seven seven seven, which is from nineteen forty eight, which is I thought was really good that he did. He was like a detective opening of a ten year case. It's not my pick though, but I just I mentioned found it on Netflix one day and I really liked it. But I'm gonna go with Rear Window. Uh, for me, I think mm, that's good call. Uh, it's a uh, I really like that. Uh, the Hitchcock film, and I think that he does so much with doing so little. I feel because he has to do a lot of like telling the audience what he's like seeing and his thoughts and stuff like that from just being in a stationary position. I thought it's really uh, it's just fantastic. I really like the film Disturbia, which this was uh, kind of uh, Disturbia was a remake of with Shia LaBeouf, and I was I saw that way before I saw Rear Window, and that this rear window just blows everything that movie out of the water and it just it's it's a fantastic film that one of my favorite hitchcock movies it's i i just like like so much about it and jimmy stewart is fantastic in that film so i'm gonna i'm throwing rear window up on our mount rushmore all right all right let's see here todd since you're, you're calling shots now who's going next you or zach uh i, I could go i guess Okay. Uh, All right. We'll make we'll make the the film history buff uh, go go last on this one. So, uh, I I mean I love Jimmy Stewart in his Hitchcock movies. I love him in a lot of things. But like what I think he's best at is westerns, and there are two that I want to choose from. So I think I'm gonna go with the man who shot Liberty Valance. Oh yeah. Mm. Which is uh, just a, a masterpiece from John Ford. It's him and John Wayne and Lee Marvin. J- Jimmy Stewart plays like a a senator. And, uh, but it's in those kind of settings that I feel like he is at his most comfortable and he can actually do the most things. And I, I love, I, I love Jimmy Stewart in, in that movie. And it's, it's not my favorite movie, uh, that, that he does a West, in a Western, uh, The Shootist is the other one I was thinking of, like, which is one of my favorite movies of the seventies, but, uh, that's not exactly him at his peak. That's more of a John Wayne movie. This one is a Jimmy Stewart movie and it's, uh, yeah. It's, I think a Western has to be mentioned when you're talking about Jimmy Stewart. I haven't seen either of those. Well, you could you could talk about Westerns, or you could talk about his role in An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to oh, say that. that. <laughs> Isn't that his last credited performance? I yeah, think I saw yes, that today. Is. Yeah. All right, Zach, we've got Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Rear Window, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Where are you going? Well, I guess since we don't have a given, I have to go with It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, I think that's clearly his most iconic role. But if I'm, if I'm going to pull an Adam call 77 Northside, whatever the movie that was, um, I would also <laughs> submit a more obscure Jimmy Stewart role in the movie The Stratton Story. Um, which he made a few years after *Is a Wonderful Life*, in which he plays a real-life baseball player who has his leg amputated. And um, not a fan of that movie, actually. Really? I, I, I. Well, okay. To be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember one scene where <laughs> <A> he, shocker. <laughs> he takes. I thought you hadn't even seen it. <laughs> no, that. Well, I don't know if I could Just pass a quiz on it, but I do remember a scene where he takes his girlfriend to his apartment and makes her dinner and does the dishes. Do you remember that scene? I no. may be thinking of a different baseball film, though. And let's or, just or let's just, just stick it to uh, to uh, it's a wonderful life. 
I also, the first time I was going to watch It's a Wonderful Life, I watched It's, uh, It's a Wonderful World, which is another Jimmy Stewart movie from 1939, and I was like, this is actually kind of good, I, but I don't think it's an all-time classic, which I thought was really weird, and, uh, it's not It's a Wonderful Life, that's for damn sure. So between you watching the wrong movie and Adam thinking that the first hour and a half had nothing to do with Christmas, it sounds like this is a hard movie for... People are not, are not sure if they're watching the right movie. Maybe there needs to be some... Uh, it's like Deadfall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which Deadfall? That's the question. I, I'm sure we're not the first people to compare It's Wonderful Life and Deadfall. Of course not. <laughs> Alright, so a couple more we've got to mention. Um, if, you're going, if you're going down the Hitchcock route, Rear Window's a great pick, but you also have to mention Vertigo. And Rope. Um, as, and Rope, yeah, the other classic Stuart Hitchcock uh, uh, collaborations. And then um, the other one that I'll throw out there that I've watched, I don't know if you guys have watched it, but The Shop Around the Corner, uh, I watched a couple years ago, popped up on TCM. It's the film that um, that uh, You've Got Mail was based off of, um, and he's he's really good in that in kind of the more rom-com uh, type of setting. It's a, it's a very different feel than uh than you've got mail but um you can see how that spawned that you've got mail i think is a better movie but i just wanted to throw it out there so and none of us are going to mention his oscar win for philadelphia story or the i haven't uh, the, seen the it. best picture winner the greatest show on earth which are I, both not great movies i didn't even remember he was in the greatest show on earth and i haven't seen philadelphia story even though i probably should by Todd's Probably, definition yeah. of seeing a movie, I don't think I've seen the Philadelphia story either. <laughs> <laughs> well, by Todd's definition, if it wasn't for this podcast, he wouldn't have seen Happiest Season. Oh, so, yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. And it is now time to, uh, to recast. Now, we're talking about an all-time classic here. Going all the way back to the 40s, which is, I, I think this it gives us one of the more intriguing recasts that we've ever done. Of taking a movie this old, this iconic, and trying to recast some of these roles. Especially, I mean, um, to the mainstream, Jimmy Stewart is really the only name that you have in this cast. Which I think I think makes it, makes it interesting. Alright, we're going to go through this fairly quick. Um... Since we've got four of us, it's going to take a little longer. So let's try and let's try and keep it brief. Your explanation, all that stuff. Uh, so let's start. Let's start with George Bailey, played by Jeremy Stewart, uh, and we're going to go to uh, Todd first. Uh, well, I went with Ryan Gosling. He's around the right age, and there there, there has to be a certain just inherent likability to play this role and I don't know anybody in that age range in Hollywood that is more likable than Ryan Gosling and I could see him being naive I could see him being kind of a badass like a, a really kind of angry person and having mood swings I don't I, I think Ryan Gosling is is in the right range uh to play this role it's a good call it's a good call Adam you're next I'm gonna go with a guy who's like two years older Jake Gyllenhaal I think that's uh, he tells he can tell a good story with his just his face, and that's what uh, George Bailey does here a lot in this movie too. He can convey a lot of different emotions, and Gyllenhaal can do that as well. So I'm going to go with Gyllenhaal as my George Bailey. Zach, 
It's funny because my wife said Ryan Gosling. I, I think that's a ridiculous selection. He's I think he's way too glamorous for the role. No, me and Sammy got this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, She's probably seen more of the movie. <laughs> maybe, has. maybe. She, she, she didn't fall asleep. I went with someone who is, shall we say, angular, um, and I went with Adam Driver because he's tall, like George Bailey. What? I, I was kind of, I was kind of thinking Adam Driver too, but then I, I oh, thought of others. That, is, I like the, more. that is horrible. <laughs> Just because he wears a football uniform and he's big. I think he has he has so, more range than Gosling has. I mean, hey girl, you know, wanna wanna. Oh yeah, I guess Kylo the, Ren is so sexy. <laughs> wanna job. go save Bedford Falls? Kylo lo- Ren loan out is money a to meme. Mr. Martini. <laughs> Oh, okay, uh, oh, when I think <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> when I think George Bailey, I think I think like the naivete turned into like him slowly progressing down and and just getting beat up by life around him till he he becomes something else, but his virtue kind of wins out in the end. And to me, that felt like kind of a similar arc to Captain America. So I went with Chris Evans. These are all way too too good looking, you know. George Bailey makes forty five dollars a week. When is he going to have enough time to? You oh, know, you didn't the... watch the colored version. Oh, well, that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 and I think Chris Evans is a good actor. I think he can he could handle this in a very similar way to what you guys were saying with Gosling and and Gyllenhaal. I think that's kind of in a similar similar spot. I actually did consider Adam Driver as well. I just thought Chris Evans fit fit a little better. Okay. Mary, played by Donna Reed. Todd. Uh, so I had two choices for this. Uh, it's not a difficult role to replay. I wanted to mention Lily James just because uh, I think this is the kind of role that she fits a lot better in than Rebecca that we reviewed, you know, not long ago. But I also uh, uh, thought Shailene Woodley. Like, I don't think Mary is that that boisterous of a character. I think that she is like sort of like the very homegrown kind of uh uh, actress, and that is that is a uh, Shailene Woodley to a T. All right, Adam. Uh, this was I don't know I didn't really like my choices, but I, I went I had two as well. But I went with Natalie Portman, who's a couple years younger than Joan Hall. I wanted to have that age gap between the two characters kind of shortened a little bit. Uh, so went, yeah, Natalie Portman or Allison Brie is who I decided <laughs> as my two choices. So <laughs> I don't know. Jake Joan Hall and Allison Brie. I would have watched that movie. See, yeah, there we go. That's what. That's my main choice, Allison Brie and Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know how much I like those, but okay, Zach, what do you got? I actually also thought about Allison Brie as well because I think you know the the only mere, real attribute to playing Mary would be wholesomeness, and so like when you think about Allison Brie on like Mad Men, for example, very wholesome. But I also I, I also thought about Elizabeth Moss too, um, not just for the Mad Men connection, but I'll I'll, I'll go a little different than Adam. Go Elizabeth Moss. All right, I've got two. Um, she was like 25 when, in this movie, so... <laughs> I know, that's the crazy part. Uh, so I've got two. I've got uh, Daisy Ridley, I think ha- kind of has that wholesomeness side to her, too. And the the second one I have is Zoe Deutsch. I don't know who that I is. I that one would be good. Yeah. yeah I don't She's, know. oh, what's Zoe Deutsch in? She's in... I know Zoe Deschanel. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, She'd be wholesome. Of what she's in. We'd have to give Zombieland her a ukulele. Tap. Yeah, she's in Zombieland 2. Um, 
Disaster Artist. Everybody wants some. Oh. Everybody wants some. Okay. Dirty Grandpa, right. Beautiful we Creatures. <laughs> Anyways. Look up pictures. I think she fits. Well, every time I look up Zoe Deutsch, it takes me to Zoe Deschanel, so I can't really look up pictures. Well, yeah, you gotta they, type they, in more than one letter. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Either way, I, I think I think both of them would be good. Daisy Ridley, I think, would be good as good there too. All right. Uh, Potter, played by the legend Lionel Barrymore. Uh, Todd, who you got? Oh, uh, this is the easiest one. If you're talking about unlike just sheer unlikability and uh, how they look, this is Brian Cox. Like, I mean, yes. over and done is Brian Cox. <laughs> That's a good call. That's a good call. Adam, what do you got? I, I, well, he's unfortunately the guy I kept on thinking about was the guy, uh, Mr. Lebowski from uh, well, big, not Jeff Bridges, <laughs> or. Uh, but the guy who yeah. <laughs> who hires the him other the Jeffrey wheelchair. Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, other. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I thought of uh, kind of Kevin Spacey would be a very unlikable guy <laughs> for this one. No, I, the guy the guy I went for my yeah. Mr. Potter. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my Mr. Potter though would be Jack Nicholson, coming out of retirement, doing this iconic oh. role. Jack Nicholson. Jack. I could see that. I could see it. Zach, what do you got? I, I love that Mr. Lebowski pick. I didn't even think about that. that that's a great <laughs> pick. I almost want to pick that. But I also, I actually went with um, the dude. I went with Jeff Bridges, but he has to wear an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I kind of um, love that, right. too. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got two down. Uh, one of them is William Hurt. I can see him pulling off this role pretty well. Okay. Um, and the other one that I think um, I, I think he he has a range to do it, but I think it might be a little distracting considering who it is. I think Mark Hamill could do a, a decent job of being a villain like that in a movie like this. Yeah. But he, I think it'd be distracting the fact that he's Mark Hamill, which is why he never got any work ever unless he was just a voice actor. Um, he, yeah. I would like to see him go tête-à-tête with uh, Adam Driver. In a non-Star Wars movie, <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. I mean, it, it, depending on how you cast my movie, I've got Captain America, Ray from Star Wars, and uh, and the yeah, Daisy from Ridley. Incredible Hulk right now we're now, talking. So. Yeah, let's let's get the Star Wars version of this. Uh, okay, uh, moving on to Clarence, played by Henry Travers. Todd, who's Clarence? Uh, the only thing I could think of when you actually see Clarence is Jim Broadbent. Because he looks like him. He kind of sounds like him. It's kind of role that he would have maybe 10 years ago, but still now, I guess, probably. Because I don't know what he does now. But I, I think it's Jim Broadbent. That's a, that's a great call. The, the whimsicalness of Clarence, he would he would nail. That That's a good call. That's a good word. Adam. Whimsicalness. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Adam, what uh, do you think? That's a good. That's a good one. I actually kind of like that a lot. Um, I went with J.K. Simmons. I just think that's kind of his, his role now after Whiplash. He's gonna he's not gonna be the jerk. He's gonna be the the guy who's gonna give the get advice. He did that with Ryan Gosling in uh, like La La Land. He was kind of like his 
this guy too. So uh, yeah, I'm going with J.K. Simmons. Maybe not a great pick, but yeah, that's my Clarence. I'm not sure Roy yeah, that... in Palm Springs was giving good advice for the good guy. But, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, he can do both characters. I was going to say, that's, uh, I feel like that's totally the wrong vibe, could but sell I mean, a, George a version Bailey of J.K. Simmons, insurance. maybe. Yeah, he, he, yeah. It's a $500 tough policy. Love, tough love. Well, he, does, he doesn't trust anybody, but he does trust his barber, so. <laughs> I trust my barber. Uh, uh, that's a quote from Spider-Man, Zach, just letting you know. Okay. It's a quote from Is Spider-Man. Is it on YouTube? Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Okay. Probably. Oh, I'm sure. All this Jameson <laughs> scenes are on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right, Zach, who do you got for, for Clarence? Well, originally I was really proud of my pick, which was Wallace Shawn. But I also think that we need to get a little more unconventional. So I think I'm going to go with Snoop Dogg as Clarence. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. I, the, <laughs> you're not telling me you wouldn't want to see a movie with Snoop Dogg as Clarence. I, this, is, this is going to bring butts to seats. Well, this, this is this is the bedazzled version, <laughs> like where he's coming down smoking a joint. Yes, you know, like please. In- Just because he saw the Tyson fight with Snoop, that's why. <laughs> yeah, this Snoop- pick is still in his head. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, Snoop Dogg. Snoop exactly. Dogg coming down to uh, give advice to Kylo Ren. I I, I see it. I see it. <laughs> I all right. I think I still like my pick the best. Uh, out of everyone's picks, Jim Broadbent comes close, but I went with Billy Crystal as Clarence. Yeah, that, I mean that would definitely set the movie in the in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can, and, I can and, see and it, Clarence though. is older. He's it's right around the right age. I think I could see it. It's the right type of it's the right type of role for Billy Crystal to come out of retirement. A movie and, that he uh, would do again. after hosting the Oscars in twenty eleven. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kind of wish I went with Rick Moranis now. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, Steve one Goomber. last one. We've yeah, there you go. One last one. We got Violet, played by Gloria Graham. Uh, Todd. Uh, this is I. I don't have any good options. I have four written down. I'll pick. I'll just pick one of them. I, I'm. I'll go with Anna Sophia Robb because I haven't seen her in a long time. But she, I think she can portray that like instant like like uh. You, you the 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 I don't know the camera focuses on her and you are the the entire scene is about her whenever she's on screen and I, I think she has sort of a uh, low key range of emotions in the movie that uh, I don't think is is uh, expected from that character. Anastasia Rob, I have a couple others that I was thinking of, but I don't think it's an easy role to recast. I agree. Is this was a hard one to do, Adam? What do you got? Yeah, not a hard. It's a, it's a hard one. Uh, same act, same age. I went in with Anne Hathaway. It's Anne not a great Hathaway. pick. That is not the same age. <laughs> no, same age as Allison Brie. Same age oh, as the women. Okay, the women just yeah. same. He he he's pulling everybody into the same age range instead of having like a fifteen year difference between Jimmy yeah, Stewart that, and the women. That's super have... awkward in twenty twenty <laughs> watching it for the first time. I was that was awkward. You can't have a brunette play Violet. That's just that's wrong. She's she could be blonde. blonde. Have you seen uh, El? No, that. I've never seen her as a blonde. I'll think of it. (laughs) I swear she was a blonde in something. Was it was it Bridesmaids or something? No, Uh, that was Kate Hudson. Mm. I don't know. Zach, what do you got? What's your pick, Zach? Oh, I thought this was the easiest one to pick. Um, I went with either Julia Fox or Bria Vanate. 
you can pick either one. They're sort of Those the same. Those are both terrible choices. I, I came across those names and no, it's wrong. And then I also <laughs> said that Brooklyn Prince would play Zazu. Or Zuzu. Yeah, Brooklyn Prince, yeah. Uh, out of respect for Adam, yeah, that is going. Yeah, that's yeah. a good pick. Alright, yeah, this one was hard because you I, I didn't want to pick like a, a really big time actress for, for something like this and it, it's someone that needs to just kind of draw your attention as soon as they walk on screen. For a future a couple, Oscar winner, by the way, Gloria Graham. Yeah, true. Uh, so I've got a couple here. One of them is uh, if you got to go blonde. Actually, no, I'm going to go with the one I went with first, and I'll go with the blonde. Uh, the first one I went with was Willa Holland, who is, um, I most know her as being uh, the Green Arrow's sister in Arrow. Um, I think she's got an interesting look to her. I think she's an interesting actress, and I think she could be good. Um, and then if you're going to go with a blonde, uh, I'd, I'd go with uh, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. I don't know who that is. Uh, she's one of the girls in Mad Max Fury Road. And Transformers. She was the, yeah, she replaced Megan Fox in Transformers. Um, as the art candy. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. I feel like the age that... Amanda Seafried was trying to portray in Mank would have been a good character for this one. <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> Maybe we just go with that. Uh, that was that was a shit that, show that, right there. I, I don't know what that was. Yeah, yeah. That was all. That was all bad. All bad. We'll cut that. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny how every time the someone says we'll cut that it ends up in the actual final product anyways i just find that interesting <laughs> i wonder whose <laughs> problem that is <laughs> well as soon as you say we'll cut that it turns into actually something pretty pretty decent and fun all right who would nicholas cage play sam that's the character I, I, I thought. Sam, the guy that just kind of shows up kind of obnoxious and then disappears and he sends a telegram from overseas. Oh, Sam Wainwright. He's never referred to as Sam. It's always Sam Wainwright. I didn't yeah, know who he meant. He's sorry, the only Sam, other Sam. For, sorry, my ignorance. First time. <laughs> he's one of the only other characters in the entire movie that has a last name that that is used every time he's he's mentioned. Uh, I would say he would play George Bailey because he did play George Bailey in the in the Family Man. Yeah. Yeah, and is, and uh, Don Cheadle would play. Uh, was <laughs> Clarence? Yeah. Clarence. Yeah. Yeah, I was the, thinking that the one thing, the thing I remember the most about the Family Man is it, it's like oh it's it's a Wonderful Life. However, there's a scene where he goes running through an airport and he does his like action hero run. Cause, if cause that was like, a it, thing, it, I'm sure Jimmy Stewart would have had an action hero run. <laughs> he probably would have. <laughs> like if this was made in Flight of the Phoenix era, like uh, Jimmy Stewart, then yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 then Taya Leone would be Mary. I mean, it's all perfect. It's all right there. Did you guys? I also cast think I'd it? like to see a drunk Uncle Billy Nicholas Cage performance. That'd be yes. good. That'd be good. Did you cast any other characters? Because I had a few. I just wanted to mention. I, I don't have too. any others. I don't I have any others. Go for it. I tried, but no. I said Luis Guzman as Uncle Billy. I said Kathy Bates as Ma Bailey. I said Philip the Goat from from The Witch as Martini's Goat. And the one that I'm most <laughs> proud of is Keith William Richards as Mr. Potter's henchman. 
Keith William that? Richards? I don't even know who that is. It, the guy, the, the guy from uh, uh, Uncut Gems. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of oh. course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of other other things. Okay, so the guy who I said should have played Chief in One One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, he actually died this last week. It was, the, and he's actually in Jackie Brown. He's like the the really? guy. The guy in Jackie, uh, in uh, Max Cherry's office. Winston? And, and I said he was from The Dark Knight. Winston, yeah. Winston, really? Yeah. Winston died? That's that's terrible. Yeah. I, I love Winston. I, and I didn't even put that together, that he was in Jackie Brown when I was talking about him and trying to, like, defend my choice of him being a uh, chief. Tiny Lister Jr. Yeah, yeah, he just died last week. Yeah. Wow. R.I.P., man. I, for, I forgot I was going to bring that up. <laughs> Well, way to bring down the whole podcast, man. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's really known from yeah. yeah Friday. The Dark uh, Knight. He is. He is the guy in the boat. Uh, that that gets blown up in the Dark Knight. Or, is going to get blown up. Spoilers. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Wow. All right. Let's uh let's move on. Uh, highest war performance from It's a Wonderful Life. Zach, you're first. Oh, it's easily, easily Lionel Barrymore. I mean, he's the personification of evil, right? And his facial expressions and his pronunciation, the way that he winks when he offers Jimmy Stewart the job. I mean, Mr. Potter is, um, you know, this just evil incarnate figure. I think it's interesting that he's in a wheelchair because the movie came out, you know, a year after the, uh, a pre- our president was in a wheelchair and he was so beloved. So kind of an edgy sort of thing to have a, an evil villain in a wheelchair again. But, I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine this movie without... Now, of course, you could go Jimmy Stewart as well, but Jimmy Stewart is the everyman character, so you could probably have maybe some other actors play that. But Lionel Barrymore is about as evil as you can get in the history... over the course of the history of movies. Hard to imagine anyone else doing it. Well, I'll go next because my... That, that is a great pick. That is a great pick. But I'm going next because mine is Jimmy Stewart. Um, and... You're right. He's kind of an everyman. A lot of different guys could do it. Like you could easily see like uh, someone like Cary Grant slip into that, or Gary Cooper. Probably Gary Cooper would be better than Cary Grant. Um, but I feel like Jimmy Stewart is one of those guys that as soon as he plays a role, that's the only person you could ever see in it because Jimmy Stewart is is Jimmy Stewart. I mean, he is the mo- one of the most unique leading men we have ever had. And so, um, and so as soon as he plays someone, that's the only person you could see in that role. And so it's hard, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to replace, uh, Jimmy Stewart. And then you, you add to it the entire, the, the, the resurrection arc of, and, and then the, what's happening in his personal life of him coming back to Hollywood after the war and, and all the things that he saw during, during the war and, and how he's going through. That what he's going through in his personal life, showing out in in how he's his uh, performance in this, I think it 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 definitely adds to uh, to what's there. So, mine is Jimmy Stewart. Adam, how about you? A way to take the easy ones, guys. No, <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> uh, no, the one I really I kind of thought like uh, if it wasn't uh, Jimmy Stewart, I was going to go with uh, Donna Reed as Mary. I. I I thought her performance was really good. I I really enjoy. I, of course, I'm really this era of film. I'm not really too familiar with a lot of 
who was really working at that time or some of the, the main a lot of the movies so when i saw donna reed i was like man like that she's fantastic she made the uh, like was stole the show compared to the the other uh leading the other lady in the film as well uh being uh where's where's um gloria uh, graham uh, I, I just i donna reed was one of i was the hardest one for me to cast and i couldn't decide on who i wanted so yeah, i'm gonna go donna reed here as mary especially that ending scene where she um I don't know. I just like her in the ending scene a lot. So, yeah, Donna Reed. That's a good call. That's a good call. Todd, what do you, What about you? Uh, the only one I wrote down was Gloria Graham. Because, like I said, it was the toughest time I had recasting any character. She's got this, like, early like Jessica Lang kind of vibe to her where you cannot take your eyes off of her whenever she's on screen. She's, like, she's like has a sexy vibe, but she's also, like, sort of bitchy and whiny, and then she gets emotional. It... it the only other actress I've ever compared to Jessica Lange is, uh, is Angelina Jolie, and I think this performance is one that could only be played by those actresses, and uh, and and the, that is obviously a lot way beyond uh, uh, Gloria Graham uh, career. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I thought it was obvious. Like Gloria Graham's the highest war. Yeah, you were actually like when you're ex- ex- explaining this performance, I, I immediately thought of Scarlett Johansson and Don John. I was like, that's kind of <laughs> could it be uh, the same kind of electric electricity, okay. maybe possibly, possibly. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Scarlett I Johansson, doubt yeah. that George yeah, Bailey a has a porn time. addiction, though. He <laughs> seems a little too wholesome <laughs> for that. <laughs> the movies aren't similar, but <laughs> Tony Danza would be a great George Bailey dad, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was and just Brie thinking, Larson like, is Harry George Bailey. <laughs> well, what would be George Bailey's list? I mean, if 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 we're going Don John here, my train whistles, my train, my train whistles, my savings and loans, my car, my car, <laughs> my the, car, the Coliseum, <laughs> the Coliseum. Uh, <laughs> all right. Who gives the worst performance, Todd? Uh, for me, it was easy as well. It was Bill Edmonds as Mr. Martini, because it. it I mean, it's. I mean, it's bad. It's. It's a bad, exaggerated caricature of an Italian guy. And every time I heard his voice, I just wanted to cringe, or I did cringe, and it made me want to cringe more. But uh, uh, it was. It's a bad performance, and uh, uh, it's not a great character, but it's a bad performance. Yeah, it's, it's one of the few elements of the movie that hasn't aged well. The exaggerated ethnic stereotype. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, well, seeing as it's you, in, Zach, like, every movie got? from this era, it's not as bad in this movie as it is in others. It's true. It's true. What do you have, Zach? Oh, I went with H.B. Um, Warner as Mr. Gower because for the longest time I could never understand what Mr. Gower was saying. So watching it this time, and I still actually can't really understand what he's saying, so I had my wife translate it for me. I felt like Steve Martin in Father of the Bride when he meets Martin Short. Like, I guess maybe other people understand what he's saying, but I certainly don't. And uh, I also recast uh, Mr. Gower. He would be played in the 2020 version by Tommy Wiseau. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you understand anything he says? Oh, hi, George. (laughs) (laughs) You're on page, big canary. You're tearing apart, George. His first scene, I I always 
it, it takes a while to truly understand what's going on there because they don't really explain a whole lot and it just kind of happens. And then later on in the movie, you're like, oh, that, that's what that's what that, happened. That is a hard part of the movie to follow if you haven't seen it 17 times, like I thought I had. Yeah. <clears throat> and Ochoa just like bolts out of the room like, where the hell is he going? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this, Sandlot? Can you just buy a baseball? <laughs> like... <laughs> it, it it to me it felt like he was like trying to rescue him from committing suicide. That that's what it that's what it felt like at first. And like oh he's filling capsules with poison. What is he gonna do to himself because his son died? And then yeah, then you find out what's going on. Anyways, uh, Adam, worst performance. Who do you say? Wow. Well, yeah. For <laughs> uh, what what was her name? The uh blue bondy as ma bailey uh there's that Damn scene you, where adam she... <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> uh for simple fact that when she he goes george bailey goes back to um this alternate reality that was just like uh i'm not gonna let you in here uh, I, I don't know who you are uh this is a really uh not a not a fun scene for me so yeah for a reason that's that's my least favorite but first time watch so yeah <laughs> Oh, she was man. like the go-to um, old lady in movies. Like, I, if you watch, like, she was in um, a really good Leo McCary movie called Make Way for Tomorrow, where she's like basically the same role. She was like the de facto old lady in the forties. Uh, okay. Well, I'm just gonna. I, yeah, I went with. Uh, he went with Ma Bailey, so I'll say Pa Bailey. I don't know, because I got nothing. I was gonna go with Ma Bailey, and uh, and it was taken. So. But Pa Bailey was good. I like Pa Bailey in this. I don't know. I'm just going to say Ma Bailey, too. I got nothing else. I, I like all your guys' picks. I'll just take one of each of those. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Italian job. Yeah. Italian job. Uh, That'd be all a right. great deep dive. That would be a great deep, oh, deep dive. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to do that sometime. Is it next year 20 years? Wasn't it a 2001 film? Or was no, it 2003? 2003. 2003. Ah, uh, who cares? We're definitely we'll, doing we Fast 6 years next year. Oh, that'll be good. Okay. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, Minor Character of the Year Award. Um, let's see here. I, I, I had to go through and actually remember what the, what the characters were that we named this after. But, um, okay. Uh, let's go, um, I'm gonna go first on this one. My favorite minor character in this is, uh, Uncle Billy, because it's played by Thomas Mitchell, and Thomas Mitchell is, like, the minor character of, like, a decade <laughs> in, in, at that time. I mean, he's, he is a minor character in three different Best Picture nominees from 1939. Um, he was, was a minor... He was in a movie that we reviewed, right? Yeah, the, 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 the boat movie. Oh, um, yeah. With John Wayne. With John Wayne playing <laughs> a, a Swedish guy? Yes. The, the young oh, yeah. Swedish... Um, yes. Yeah. And he, and he was great in it. I mean, Thomas Mitchell is great in everything he's, he's in. Every movie is better if Thomas Mitchell is in it. That means the there's alcohol in it. Was that it? What? Was it the I long voyage home? Yes. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what it was. Um, and, and, uh, he's also in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, so there you go, that, that's another connection there. But, um, but yeah, no, I, everything is, everything's better with Thomas Mitchell in it, so that's what I'm going with. 
Uh, let's see here. We're going to Zach next. Yeah, that, Terry, you stole my pick. It's obviously Uncle Billy. You know, Uncle Billy has this strange sort of fascination with animals. Like, all these animals live in his house. He's got, like, a chipmunk, and he's got the crow, uh, which, the crow. by the way, is, is in the credits listed as Jimmy the Crow. That is a, maybe a, a, a minor character possibility as well. That that for some reason Jimmy the Crow sounds like a character from Goodfellas. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like a mobster for sure. <laughs> Go talk to Jimmy the Crow. But you know, I mean, uh, he's. Um, I also like the scene where he's so drunk that he he's seeing his hat like three different ways, and no, oh, it's the middle one. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, he's he's awesome, and anytime you get drunk, Thomas Mitchell, it's it's always a good role. George should have never trusted him to take eight thousand dollars to the bank. By the way, do you know how much eight thousand dollars in nineteen forty six is today? I looked this up. It's like uh, I do not. it's like a it's like around a hundred thousand dollars. So trusting Uncle Barry Billy to bring a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash to deposit at a bank is probably not a great idea. <laughs> But that, that, that was so that advised. means that Potter was offering him how much money to work? Like it was what forty thousand dollars? Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Yeah, so. I looked that up too. So so George makes forty five dollars a week, which means that for, for an entire year he makes like twenty three hundred dollars, which in today's money is about thirty thousand dollars. And Potter offers him about uh, twenty thousand dollars a year, which is about like two hundred thousand dollars in twenty twenty. That is money. just irresponsible. Uh, all right adam who is your uh minor character uh i guess i'll go i'll go with bert the cop just (laughs) bert the cop yes uh for the simple fact is that for for (laughs) he's kind of i kind of wanted to see him played by john c Riley if we were going to do a remake oh yes that's perfect. perfect. <laughs> that's so. That's my choice. It's because I see John C. Riley in Bert the Cop, and that's why he's my favorite. That's a great call. And his partner's name is Ernie, which is obviously interesting. I was going to say that. Yeah, that, I mean, that has yeah. to be where it came from, right? That mm-hmm. has to be why Bert and Ernie are named that, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And I yeah. love how Bert shoots at... Uh, at George, like he's like a 1920s gangster too. Like it's like pow, 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 pow. In a crowd of people, yeah. <laughs> the children literally stop. He's playing the street. interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rubber ducky. Todd, is who's one. your? Who's <laughs> your favorite minor character? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I had Bert written down as well. Uh, the, my other one was Harry Holman as Mr. Partridge, the school principal. Because he, at that party, he's just, like, standing there yelling at everyone. And then eventually he's just like, ah, no, screw it. I'm going to go swimming. And he jumps into the pool. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, oh, I don't yeah. know. It's such a weird, random scene and such, like a like, a sitcom kind of scene kind of and uh that character doesn't belong in that movie but i think it was really funny oh wow. i don't know what that realize... guy does with his life i didn't realize that the, that was the principal i thought that was like the yeah, mayor I... or something i had no idea i didn't remember that either until you mentioned the scene 
That's a great scene, though. I mean, there are many... We'll talk about favorite scenes, but I love that scene. I, I don't think that scene is a sitcom at all. I think it's a wonderful scene that's hilarious and certainly is indebted a little bit to Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, but it's it's still great every oh, time yeah. watching it. <clears throat> I definitely felt like it, there was a definitely modern times where... Yeah, where he's at the Charlie department Chaplin. store. The blindfolded, the roller skates. Yeah, yeah, roller skating around the department store. That That's totally the vibe you get from that. Uh, okay. Biggest stick man of <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Adam, you're it. first. I got it. Okay. Who it's, is it? it? There's only one choice. It's it's Harry Bailey. Because this, this guy, he was in the military. <laughs> it's the brother. He he had kept the medal of, what, medal of honor, medal of valor, some kind of medal. He's in the military. I, my brother was in the military, He's so married. I know what they do over there. He's not well, getting he was, it in. Not, you don't you don't know what he's doing on the on the down low. Over <laughs> well, there. On his navy Yes On his Navy plane? Like what are you talking about? Chick's hey, digging man, man in uniform. Chick's digging <laughs> hey my, my brother was a Marine. He's told me stories. It's it's it, it was a, an experience hearing those stories. I mean it, it would be impressive that he was able to shoot down the fifteen aircraft while you know, upping his stickman game. I mean that is impressive, but I this is purely speculative. I don't know what evidence of this possibly exists. He deals with the biggest gun on the ship. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> now that is a good point. The metaphor. <laughs> All right. Well, Zach, who do you have? I thought there were only two possible candidates. One was Martini because he has 20 children. But I think the real answer is Sam Wainwright because he's the only one who's actually seen with different women throughout the course of the movie. He's got that secretary who's giving him a massage, kind of like you know Halle Berry and Kyle McLaughlin in, in uh, The Flintstones. And then he also shows up with that chick, uh, Jane, uh, and they drive down to Florida together. So Sam Wainwright is definitely getting it in with, with his plastics money, and he probably isn't even using plastics. How do you know that they drive to Florida, but you don't know that Mary was in New York? Like, I don't... Do you only watch the movie on YouTube? Come on, man. I actually still have no recollection of, of that scene at all. When, do, when does she talk about going to New York? They're in New York. Bedford Falls to, is, is in New York State. She was in New York City. Like, the, when, when he gets back... Or, or when oh, when Ma Bailey back, sends he, him he, to her house? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and yeah. He, okay. when he first is at her house, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm tuning it out by that point. I'm ready to I'm ready to get on to the, you know, the $8,000 part. Yeah, you, you just right. skip forward in the movie of what that's one of your top ten of all time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right, I'll go next because my pick is also Sam Wainwright. And, uh, I mean... Uh, the the only thing I have to add to it is uh, only a stick man would have a catchphrase of hee haw, so yeah. <laughs> All right, out of kid. Yeah. All right, Todd, what do you got? Well, I mean, well, the, I thought Violet is the obvious choice, right? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also wrote down George just because, like, he accidentally yeah. kind of sedu- seduces Mary. You know, like, he's doing everything wrong, and it's still working. And then he's got, like, that whole, like, game that I don't know if he's playing a game with, like, him, like, not letting her get dressed again. Like, I mean, th- that is some serious stickman shit, and she was digging it, too, and she was upset that he had to leave. Like, I think George I is actually, like, low-key, like, a really big stickman. <laughs> I don't know if she was digging, you know, the, the, a, a sharp bush um, brushing up against her bare skin naked without her robe. 
But you see what the look when he actually left. She looked got up like 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 what the hell is he leaving? I thought we were playing a game. Is that revisionist like uh, viewing this movie, or is that like I, I think that's actually no, what no, happened. I, I, I know, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Sam Wainwright is such he, a stick man that he's the aphrodisiac that puts George and Mary into the mood on the phone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use Todd calling out uh, George Bailey as the biggest stick man as uh, as proof that my, one of my picks when we did our top five of all time is actually a true stick man and that was Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters. They have a very similar vibe of they're just kind of playing the game and when you go along with it, it's it's you know sparks fly. I've never seen Ghostbusters. What? Oh, first... Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. It's a yeah, Zach has not seen any. He's uh, seen like five 1980s movies. Yeah, re- yeah. yeah Zach. Yeah. I, Ferris Bueller is one of them notes. now. <clears throat> yeah. Come to Daily Notes. We're doing a first time watch of Ghostbusters. That, the, okay. Come to the Daily it. Notes. I've seen the. I've seen <laughs> the, <laughs> the all female <laughs> Ghostbusters. That the new, <laughs> <is that> new <laughs> segment. <laughs> Come to the Daily Notes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great. This has to be a thing. <laughs> Terry's coming. Terry's see, see, come gonna come to the Daily Notes. We're gonna introduce him to these. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get into this, and uh, and Zach's gonna get really into the '80s, and then we're never gonna see him again. Exactly. <laughs> Just like Bertram. In the, Bertram for over weeks. Is that from Ghostbusters? Because I didn't get that reference. That's from Sandlot. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sandlot. I don't know. Second, I don't know where these references are coming from. This podcast. I don't know. It's a gift. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh. I think that everyone, every, everyone, yeah, we're good. Moving on, the the newly renamed Billy Bats douchebag is uh is going to Zach. Okay, well this no, is I'm not going this to is Zach, the... but Zach, you get to say your pick first. I, I'm just gonna say one because this is the most fun category. I've been waiting for this all all podcast. I'm gonna go with um Harry, although there are several other picks. But Harry is a douchebag, and maybe Todd won't understand this, but when you're an older sibling and the younger sibling gets everything handed to them, like, you know, a job, a wife, yeah. a medal of honor, and all everything behind the scenes, Harry is completely, um, he doesn't have any knowledge of the $8,000 disappearing or the suicide attempt or anything like that. He just comes home, he takes the flight home, he's like hobnobbing with Harry Truman and, and you know, the mom. It's like, come on, man, get real. And there is no way that Harry is an amazing researcher, according to his ugly wife Ruth he's a has-been I, I, you've been excited about this category ever since I mentioned it at the end of our last podcast yeah so I, I want to hear yeah. I, I really want to hear the other picks all right uh, Adam you're going next who's oh. your who's your biggest douchebag well I can't Potter's that's not a douchebag that's just the bad guy I'm gonna go with Sam yeah, Sam Wayne. Oh, sorry, pick. Sam Wainwright. Sorry, Sam Wainwright. <laughs> His catchphrase is "Yeehaw." Enough said. I think it's no, "Hee-haw." <laughs> not I'm not "Yeehaw." This is not a western. Him, Wrong, Jimmy Stewart. It doesn't movie. make him a douchebag. That just makes him a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true, baby. Okay, I, I, wrote, I, I wrote down Sam Wainwright too, but that's because did you? If you're listening to the dialogue when they're on the phone, he steals George's idea for plastics with soybeans, and he gets rich off yeah. of it. Like he says that George told him that idea one night at Martini's bar. It's like screw you, man! You took my idea. This should have been if you didn't have invented Facebook, you would have invented it. And you know what? We never get that scene because George is just too nice a guy. And you said my point 
Zero three percent was not a great scene. <laughs> I think it was just three percent. Uh. All right. Um. Todd, biggest douchebag. Well, you go next. I have three more that haven't been mentioned. So. All right. Well, my biggest douchebag is Nick. Yes. Um. Because the second Martini is out of the way, he is the biggest douchebag, mm-hmm. and uh and treats everyone in his bar like crap uh, as soon as it's his bar. And uh, and I think, yeah, that that's the biggest sign. I mean, he, of everyone, he changes personality and who he is the most from in the alternate reality. So he has to be the biggest douchebag. He's played by Sheldon Leonard, which sounds like like a an Illinois All-American defensive end. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's it's I, I was looking at it and thinking it, it sounded a little too close to uh the machine oh shelly shelly the machine, machine Levine. Levine. Oh. Oh, i like it close big, conspiracy theory i thought a big i thought a big bang theory because sheldon cooper and leonard Hoff. well said. yeah there's that but, too yeah, there's that uh, all right so uh, my douchebag did i take one of uh, yours no you didn't uh <laughs> So I have uh, Joseph the Angel because he refers to Clarence as just like, oh, it's that clockmaker's turn. Like, that's just a grating thing to say. He's a terrible person. Uh, I also have Mickey, who's the kid with the swimming pool keys that has the idea to yep. try to sabotage mm. uh, George. You know, that, that, that guy's a douchebag and just a dick overall. And I also have Jay Farrell McDonald, who plays the man whose grandfather planted the tree. Because a guy runs into his tree, it's just off the side of the road, and he is only concerned with, like, my grandfather planted this tree, blah, 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 blah. He's not concerned about, you know, George, or the car, or anything. He's only concerned about the damn tree, which has been there for, you know, like, a hundred years or something. I don't know. That guy's a douchebag. Is that how he's credited? I can't find him anywhere. Yes. He's credited as man whose grandfather planted tree. (laughs) (laughs) Rolls off the tongue. That is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and that guy is a douchebag. <laughs> you don't even have a name. You have no chance. <laughs> exactly. Why do we not quote Goldmember more on this movie, on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. So I had a couple oh. more I'll mention briefly. I also had Ed, who is the guy who asks for $20 when they're all trying to um, get their money out of the bank. Um, but he still demands the $20. And um, I also went with Mr. Welsh, the husband of the teacher, because after consoling his wife, um, he goes to Martini's bar. Like, that's not a very helpful husband on Christmas Eve. Besides the fact that he punches George, too. Well, there's that. Yeah. All right. Best scene. Best scene. Adam, you're first. Yeah, this best scene for me, I, I we Zach alluded to it already. It's the uh, the dance scene. I think that I thought of obviously modern times was that kind of the tribute there, and I thought it was it's just fantastic. It's just a great little sequence in the middle of that first hour that is played really well, and then jumping into the water, and it sets up a scene I feel really uncomfortable about, but the dancing portion of it is uh, fantastic, and I. I that's that's by far my one of my favorites other than the last 40 minutes so there all right you. um i'm gonna go next my favorite scene uh is 
in, in for for George, there's a series of decisions he makes that change the change the course of his life. And the one that he the the most consequential one that he makes is when he decides to skip his trip and skip college and take over the business. And that scene where he's in the boardroom after his dad dies and and Potter's talking about taking everything over and and just shutting down the the um the whole business and he's about to walk out the door and he can't because he's got to do the right thing. I mean and that that's that's a scene where he chooses the the entire path of the rest of his life. And that's that's the scene where everything turns for him. And and it's and it's played beautifully by 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 Jimmy Stewart, by Lionel Barrymore, by everybody in that scene, where where he he's on his way out and he goes, well, hold on, wait, no, I can't I can't leave with you saying that. I've got to I've got to change something here. And then he ends up defending it to the point that it becomes his, and he's the one that it, it has to be his. And so that that that's my favorite scene because it, it's it's the scene where he chooses his own fate. And he chooses this is this is the life I'm going to lead. I'm not going to lead the life necessarily that I want, but I'm going to lead the life that is the right life that I need to lead. And so that that's my that's my favorite. All right, Todd, you're next. Uh, so I guess similar. I after his wedding, where uh, he sees the the run on the bank, and then it leads back into mm-hmm. the building alone. And where he pays off the townspeople is like excitement, it's uncertainty. Uh, it has like that snappy business jargon that we love that's in like all Capra movies. And it's just one of the scenes that really stands out that isn't one of the really iconic scenes in the movie because there are a lot of them, but like this is the one that could easily fall flat under, under lesser hands. But it, it really works and it really keeps the movie going. And I think that that scene is really pivotal. And I, I think it's it's one of the coolest scenes and one of the things that really shows who George Bailey really is. That's a good choice, too. All right, Zach, what do you got? All right, well, obviously the last scene in the movie, the last five minutes, is, you know, the iconic scene I think that Todd is talking about. It's a movie that, um, you know, or it's a scene that, like, for me, the opening of Speed, it also turns me on and excites me <laughs> because of how great it is. But for the sake of argument, I will also go with another scene in this movie, kind of similar to the one that Terry mentioned, but it occurs later in the movie. It's when Potter offers him a job, and Potter just does a great job of, like, sizing up his entire life, his entire futility. Um, And, uh, you know, you can kind of sort of see, like, the temptation that George has in accepting it, and he goes to shake his hand, and he's like, no, no, uh, in the whole scheme of the universe, you're just some curvy little spider. And what I like about that scene is that it is also featured in the second best Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone, when it is dubbed into French because they are watching it at Uncle What's-His-Name's apartment in Paris. Ah, no, no, no! Pourquoi? Merci! (laughs) It just doesn't sound right. It's like watching in color. It just doesn't work. The French dub version. So the scene, the scene I always think about when when I'm watching this, of where it pops up in other places, as I always think about the scene where he, where he's talking about putting the lasso around the moon. That when it pops up in Bruce Almighty. Yeah, I remember that. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of too when I was watching. I was like, what What have I seen this in? Ah. You 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 want the moon? I'll just throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Um, all right. Um, 
it, it, here come the, the, the fun part. The flaws, outdated, conspiracy theories. What do you have? Anybody got any? I've got some good ones. But uh, what do you guys got? Well, I was just going to say, I only really have, have two things. One is that there's a library in Pottersville. That seems unrealistic, that Mary is the old maid works at. But um, the other thing I was going to say is, as a sort of conspiracy theory, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I never really noticed this too much before, but I'm fascinated by what they do during the war and how they talk about how Bert the cop goes to North Africa and gets wounded and Sam Wainwright makes plastic uh, pieces for the air, aircraft. And so I kind of thought Bert is kind of like the English patient and Sam Wainwright is like Schindler's List. And that's, that was my stream of consciousness connection that really doesn't make any sense, but I, I thought it was kind of <laughs> worth mentioning. <clears throat> uh, all right, so... Uh, so um, here's one of my conspiracy theories I'll throw out now. So I, I think Sam Wainwright, he, he, he gets, um, he becomes a hit in his, uh, in his business and, uh, eventually moves out to California and, uh, and befriends, uh, the Braddock family and offers to, uh, to bring their son Ben into the, the, the business of plastics, uh, in The Graduate. So that, that's... There you go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one of them. I've got some more ballots. Uh, Todd, do you got anything? What conspiracy theories? Or or flaws or things that are outdated or anything uh, like that? Okay, so I, have, I mean I have a few. I I I disagree about the scene where they're all dancing. Like what? What? How deep is that pool? Because <laughs> the kids jump in really like recklessly, and that stunt looks like it was completely fake. Like I mean, it's cool that you have a pool underneath, like, the, the gym floor. But at the same time, it's like, those people were jumping in. Like, they were, like, jumping, like, like in the Sandlot, when uh, Ham's jumping out of the... <laughs> jumping out of the... Or, no, not Ham. Somebody's jumping out over the top of the, the railing onto the ground. It's like, they're they jumping out because something's about to blow up or something like that. That's how they're jumping into that, in that water. Um, I also think... That there is no way that there was eight thousand dollars in that envelope that Uncle Billy had because you look at it, there is like it's like fives and twenties that he's like shuffling through. There's no eight thousand dollars in there. That is clear. That's a, that's a good. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, also, uh, when uh, Nick the bartender starts talking, uh, I swear that is the voice that. Cameron and Ferris Bueller is going for it when he's trying to do his impression of Sloane's dad. Like, I could not hear anything other than that when I was hearing when he was hearing him talk. I was like, George, wow. that's a Sloane Peterson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is what Nick sounds like. And the the most important one is that uh, at the end of the movie when he freaks out and he's like saying Merry Christmas to everybody and, and he's like getting arrested. He's like. Oh, Merry Christmas! It, it is exactly... It, it has to inspire what... Uh, uh, like, the last, like, 20 minutes or so of Catch Me If You Can. Because I swear, that is the exact same tone, the exact same voice that Leo uses when he's getting arrested in France. That has to be an homage in some way, because it was... I, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm watching. Like, I'm watching Catch Me If You Can right now. I could see that. Even Tara, even that. your sister said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Merry Christmas! Why is yeah. there a meaning on Christmas? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can see that. 
I can see that. And the Spielberg, he, pr- I mean, it, I think it, I think it holds water. <laughs> uh, Adam, you got anything? Think. Nothing that creative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't really got anything. It's like, I mean, yeah, you, you don't really find flaws until you watch the second time. Yeah, that's true. All right, so so here's some conspiracy theories I found. So I I, I had heard that there were some, and so I, I searched up something and uh, and found an in, an interesting article here that lists some some dark interpretations and conspiracy theories about its wonderful life. Um, so um, one of them is that Mary's love for George causes the Great Depression uh, because she wishes uh, that they um, that they end up together, which means that he has to stay and he has to he stays because the stock market crashes and the great depression happens and so her her love for george causes the great depression um also her wish and her love for george causes everything bad that happens in his life um and then um this is an interesting one this one says that uh it's a wonderful life and uh donnie darko are the same story just in reverse order that one yeah <laughs> if um, i care yeah. about donnie darko i might know what you're talking about watch your yeah mouth. it it's a it's a donnie darko is about a teen who gets visited by a demon who tells him that the world will end and everyone will die if he if he doesn't die first and so what's a wonderful life is about being visited by an angel telling him what life would be like if he wasn't there um and then uh the last one is um this is a really interesting one uh, this conspiracy theory is that George actually kills himself, and he is in purgatory, trying to find out which way he's going to go. And so he's given the—that's why it, it's such a fairy tale ending, because he's given this second chance to figure out if he's going to go to heaven or hell. Now that's interesting. Why didn't it explore that more? Because <laughs> it was 1946, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so that there, there you go. Those are some interesting conspiracy theories. There. I like the conspiracy theory that this movie is the Family Man starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I mean, it totally is. I mean, it's yeah, unabashedly it's that. <laughs> it, it's basically. Have you seen the Family Man, Zach? No, I've not. Oh, Don Cheadle is the angel. So that's why yeah, I said Snoop the Dogg. Angel. I was like, oh yeah, Don Cheadle or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Or obviously. All right, let's wrap this up. LVP, MVP. Uh, I'm going to go first. My LVP is Harry. uh, Because Harry kind of causes everything to go wrong with George. And uh, if it wasn't for Harry, then uh, George's life would be fine. Um, He would be able to hear out of both ears if it wasn't for Harry. Mm -hmm. I mean... You guys yeah. are vicious to Harry. I ne- I never <laughs> thought to mention him on any of our categories. Wonder Damn. why. When you're a younger sibling, you know, you you have blinders and, and, onto the world. There you go. And the MVP is obviously Clarence. Because um, I, 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 you, you kind of get the idea that Clarence has got this, like, unconventional look at being the, at being the angel. And, and, uh, and he's like, oh, you know what? Let's try this. Let's see if this works. And... Uh, and it's him being unconventional that, and he that orders turns wine. George around. And he orders wine. <laughs> Takes him a while to order something. Flaming <laughs> but, yeah. rum punch. 
flaming run punch. Uh, so yeah, there you go. All right, uh, Adam, you're next. LVP, uh, MVP. Okay, LVP. I'll just go with the Oscar. No Oscar wins. Oh, and not even one. getting a nomination for uh, cinematography, black and white. So. I think that not even get nominated for that category. Or color, color. by the way. Or color. (laughs) (laughs) The retroactive color. It should retroactively be nominated for a color Oscar. Yeah, I I think that one. I I don't know because that's it's obviously the movie that I I recognize some of the Oscar nomination movies. Granted, I'm a little ignorant to a lot of uh, the movies at that time, but it's the one that is obviously the most recognizable one. But again, we talked about box office as a flop, so. That maybe has something to do with it. But the MVP for me was William Hornbeck, the editor of the movie, especially the, you know, how it was put together. I thought it was, uh, like, I thought it was really pieced really well. And after, I'm looking forward to going back again. So I guess that's, it's not going to move slow enough to keep me, it kept me interested throughout the movie. And also uh, a 2020 viewing and a po- being a part of a podcast really kind of made me as an MVP because I probably wouldn't have watched it this year if I didn't have... An outlet to express it so i yeah so i probably go with that one so that's uh almost sideways being the mvp so there we go well done that is the well first done. time we've been the mvp yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh todd lvp mvp uh my lvp is whoever converted it to color <laughs> it looks really bad yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, I, I was wondering why. I, that that was always my question it was, when I it was Ted I Turner. Mean, it was fine, Ted Turner did it in the early nineties. That, that was his did thing. He? Yeah, he was big into like making movie, making black and white movies, um, colorized versions. Early nineties, he did it with a bunch of movies. Are you sure he did this one? He, he was one of the architects behind it, I believe. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, MVP of the nineteen ninety five Braves. LVP of this movie. <laughs> uh, my MVP. I'm going to say was, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's between Billy's Crow and Gloria Graham. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to probably say Billy's Crow. <laughs> because, I don't know, it, it had the comedic timing, and it was perfect. You know, people walked in, it's, it, it started yapping. I like Billy's Crow's the MVP of the movie. That's great. Billy the Crow. Jimmy the Crow. Well, was Jimmy the Crow Play, playing Billy the Crow? Billy's Crow. I don't know. Billy the Crow? Billy's Crow, played by Jimmy the Crow. All right, Zach, LVP, MVP. The LVP of this movie is capitalism, obviously, personified by Pottersville. And the MVP of this movie is um, uh, uh, communism and socialism and Bedford Falls. But I don't know. Honestly, like, watching this movie in 2020... It's it's been quite an experience these last four years watching this movie, and there was a difference this year, and that's all I'll say about that. I just it was a very enjoyable watching, which is maybe why I didn't focus so much on the Pottersville and earlier parts of the movie because I wanted to get to you know the end when when good is returned to the world. Well, to agree to disagree, and you obviously didn't watch the movie, so okay, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, even though I know he made forty five dollars a week, but okay. <laughs> All right, uh, time to wrap this up with our quote of the day. Uh, let's see here. We're going to go to Todd first. All right, well, mine comes from a different Christmas movie, a better Christmas movie, which is uh, uh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, and Krucklerswald says, when Santa squeezes his fat ass down the chimney tonight, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. 
And I feel like that kind of describes this podcast. <laughs> I always go in the wrong order. That should have ended this thing. Good grief. Uh, all right, uh, Adam, you're next. My quote of the day is Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump. Wrong. That was the wrong, uh, wrong best Christmas movie. Anyway, no. Um, uh, my quote of the day. I think I'm gonna go with the the, the phrase. I'm gonna probably get the wording wrong, but it's what uh, Clarence said about uh, on the Dick when he wrote on Dickens about thank you for giving my wings. I just really like that sentiment for being not watching. I didn't know what the, what he ever wrote. So, uh, yeah, thank you for my wings. And every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. So, yeah, that's my quote uh, for this movie. Anyway. Which is better than Christmas Vacation. And better than Happiest Season. <laughs> it, well, way yeah. better. Is it better than Desperados, right, so, though? Is the real question. I completely forgot to mention, I thought it was super cool, though, that we uh, reviewed a movie to start this podcast that ended with a scene of everybody watching It's a Wonderful Life. That's true. And then we deep, did a deep dive of It's a Wonderful Life. I thought that was really cool. I'm going to go next. My, my quote of the day is, uh, comes from the end of the movie, and it might have been my favorite quote of the entire movie. It comes from Annie the, the maid, the Bailey maid, who, says, uh, who brings her money in and says, I've been saving this money for a divorce if I ever got a husband. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> All right. Zach, what do you got? Well, originally I had a quote from the movie, right. but uh, I pulled an audible, and my quote comes from the late, great Tom Tiny Lister Jr., a.k.a. Winston and Jackie Brown. And on his IMDb page, apparently he has a quote where he said, "What's?" and I thought it was actually applicable. Um, he said, what's so cool about God and our government is that you can make a mistake and they will forgive you if you are just a good person and doing right. Isn't that the, isn't that the message of It's a Wonderful Life? By the way, another conspiracy theory... Tony List, Tom T- Tiny Lister Jr. was in Jackie Brown, which was the, based on the novel Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. Rum Punch, <laughs> like what Clarence the Angel orders at Nick's Bar. And yet you guys did not know who that was when I brought him up on our one, one foot of the cuckoo's nest. Amen. And now, and now we've come full circle. He was in Friday. Watch next Friday. There we go. We're not... Yeah. That means it's time to say bye. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Todd actually Todd apparently left the call. Who, yeah, he's, he's done. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, catch us all over the place. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.